get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is a Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Good morning. It's 7 o'clock. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And welcome to Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN with Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Carriker, and it is great to have you with us on this TGIF. Michelle, good morning. Good morning, Randy. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm, I'm looking forward to Friday, looking forward to the weekend, and looking forward to baseball. One week until training starts. It's not spring training. It's not summer training. It's just it's like soccer. It's training. We're just training here. Yeah. One week. Whew. What a long and broken road it took for us to get to this point, but I'm so glad that we can have the official week countdown. And over the course of this weekend and early next week, the Tier 1 people involved with the Cardinals will undergo their testing for COVID-19. The multiple teams, Michelle, have had players test positive. The Dodgers announced yesterday that they've had one test positive. The Phillies, as we know, have had multiple, several teams have had multiple positive tests. And you have to believe that as the Cardinals report from around the country, a lot of guys down in Florida, that somebody is going to wind up testing positive. Oh, it's kind of inevitable, right? That somebody will, based on the trends that we're seeing throughout sports when the players are reporting. And that's going to be an interesting factor in all this as well, Randy. I was thinking about this last night. If guys come in and they test positive and then they have to quarantine and they're not able to contribute or participate in training, period, training, mm-hmm. or training camp, whatever you want to call it, that's going to be that much more difficult for Mike Chill and the Cardinals coaching staff to evaluate what they have with some of these guys or at what point in, in their training are they at and how they should construct this lineup. But with a three-week training, better to come into camp and test positive and get it out of the way within 14 days than somehow contract the disease on July 22nd, right before the season starts, and cause any consternation that any club would have about the disease being in the clubhouse. For sure. Definitely want to err on the side of safety as far as that's concerned. But when you think about all of these managers and these coaches... They have months to figure out what a guy can give you in spring training. And now you're getting weeks, potentially a week, if someone tests positive. And it could be someone that may be on the fence on if they're going to be in the lineup or not, or if they're going to be up or down. It's it's going to be really difficult for them to make these decisions if that happens. I was intrigued by what John Mozeliak said when asked about baseball's ability overall to thread the needle and specifically the Cardinals and he said it's going to be players habits away from the ballpark and especially on the road and uh, the term that comes back to mind is when you leave the hotel you have to leave smart and 
by nature, players are night owls and they are partiers, whether it's getting out to a club or getting out to a casino. That's what they like to do on the road. And because they don't have games until 7 o'clock the next night, players are out until 1, 2 in the morning. And they just aren't going to be able to do that. And Brad always talks about Brad Thompson, how the team would get together in Kyle Loesch's suite and play video games when Brad was playing. That's what you need to do. The player that has the suite or the players that have the suite need to bring their video games along and have as many players as possible kind of self-quarantine together in a hotel suite. That sounds like a great plan. They need an RA, Randy. Yeah, Someone exactly. who's, who's going to be on their floors, on, on each of the floors where the players are hanging out to make sure that if they leave, they leave smart. But I was listening on the way into Golik and Wingo and James Franklin, the Penn State head football coach, was talking about the difficulties that they've had trying to navigate this in the college football space. And he said, you know, and I'm in Pennsylvania. Wherever I go, people are taking this very seriously. They're practicing social distancing guidelines. He goes, in the South, it's a completely different story. And I wonder for a lot of players, if they're in a city where the guidelines are stricter, it might be easier for them mm-hmm. to self-quarantine. If they're going down to a state where it's open and it's every everybody's out and they, you know, they're a month in, I just, I want wonder at what point are players going to get very stir crazy and start to relax a little Society bit. Society has done that, haven't they? Yes. But but with baseball specifically, the spotlight is going to be on two players who leave smart and to really approach this in a safe and smart way. And I just know that inevitably there's going to be some point in these 60 games where everybody lets their guard down a little bit. And I think that could be really, really problematic. Michelle Vegas has turned out their numbers for the season. They have the Dodgers as the team with the most wins at 37. I figured the season out. You need a seven-game winning streak. At some point within the 60, you play 500 but have a seven-game winning streak. 37 and 23 is going to get you into the playoffs probably pretty comfortable. So that's what it's going to be all about is having that short spurt and it, in a regular season, if you have a 12-game winning streak and can play 500 the rest of the way, you're going to be in really good shape. This year, it's going to be just a six, seven-game winning streak. If you win six in a row and play 500, you're going 36 and 24. You're 12 games over 500. You're going to win. You're going to, you're going to be in the playoffs. Which is why I think this is going to be so fun. It's going to be very different, but it's going to be so fun. If a team has a, a bad week... It could break them. If they have a great week, it could elevate them. You really are going to be tuning in to watch every game, and every game is going to matter. And if you're the Cardinals, what you want is six games in a row against the Tigers and Royals where you just clean up. You do that. You just win those six against the Tigers and Royals in a row and then play 500 the rest of the way, and the Tigers and the Royals suck. It's like when the Cardinals played the Reds two years ago, and every time it was was less feast on the Reds, and then they were in in the position in the last week of the season to make the playoffs. They didn't, but they put themselves in that position. And I think they won 14 against the Pirates last year, and that's why they won is because they were able to handle Pittsburgh. Speaking of that 60-game season, players are interested. Mike... uh, uh, Matt Carpenter compared it at stltoday.com to a college season. Here's Dodgers closer Kenley Jansen. You know, a 60 game is just anybody can, you know, play great for 60 games and, and be in the contender, be in the playoffs. So, you know, it's going to be it's gonna be a challenging year for, I think, every good team to share because, you know, how many times do you see teams that, you know, the first 60 games, I think it's going to be a challenging you know, you got to see teams play since day one, you know, play their good baseball and try to get in the playoffs. So that, that will be definitely interesting this year. One of the adages of a 162-game season is that 
every team is going to win 60, every team is going to lose 60, and it's what you do with the other 42 that count. Mm-hmm. In this season, I really think it's going to be everybody's going to win 25, except for the Tigers, and everybody's going to lose 25, and really it comes down to the other 10. That's how condensed this thing is going to be. Such a thin line, yeah. and there's really no room for error. Yeah. If Think about that. If you win the other 10, and you're at 35, and... Let's see. Let's do some math here. Oh, uh, we know we're not supposed to. No, we aren't. But yeah, thirty-five and fifteen. Yeah. No, that that'd well, be no, only fifty. That's fifty. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, we'll figure it out. What about the other ten? Yeah. See what you have to do. Yeah, twenty-five, and then whatever it is, you you are going to win twenty-five. I promise. And those ten and games 50. will matter in the yeah. middle. Yeah. Well, I think what we're going to see is a lot of teams being. In the hunt and in the thick of this as the season is wrapping up, which is going to make for a really wild and exciting ride. I'm totally intrigued by what's going to happen. And I love the fact that baseball is back, A, and B, that the Cardinals are planning against the Central Division of the American League. The American League East is a bear, and that Mm -hmm. was who they were originally scheduled to play this year. The American League West has Houston and Oakland, and they're tough. Not everybody is great there, but everybody at least is representative. By the way, the Rangers have a chance to be okay. There are really no great teams in the AL Central. Obviously, the Tigers and Royals are not going to be good. Cleveland is not what they were in the past, and they traded Corey Kluber during the offseason. The Twins won last year, and they can hit a lot of home runs, but their pitching is going to be a question mark. And then the White Sox, they're young, but they've got a lot of talent, and they could really do a lot of damage. I don't want to be too much of a Harry at the homer, and I know that things are going to arise that we don't even foresee right now, but... From where we sit right now, the Cardinal schedule, very favorable for them. Their pitching depth, very favorable. I think that a lot of people are looking at the way the card the the chips have fallen for the Cardinals and they're saying watch out for them. Michelle, the fallout continues from the Bubba Wallace situation at Talladega over the weekend and a lot of conspiracy theories among those that like to delve into conspiracy theories about how it was set up and Bubba Wallace knew about it and was part and parcel of what happened. NASCAR President Steve Phelps held a press conference yesterday and tried to quash some of those thoughts. There's been discussion and criticism on how this was handled and characterized. Some feel that the phrasing or words used were not right. That comes with the territory, and I will take full responsibility for that and for the emotion that was attached to it. Based on the evidence we had, we felt that our that our drivers had that one of our drivers had been threatened. A driver who had been extremely courageous in recent words and actions. It was our responsibility to react and investigate, and that's exactly what we did. Were there was anything that NASCAR did in your mind unreasonable? No. I'm kind of surprised at the backlash. I knew that it would happen because that's what happens in society today. But when I saw the photo and I read that NASCAR did a sweep of every garage area, 1,684 garage stalls, only 11 Total had a pull-down rope tied in a knot, and there was one noose, and it happened to be in Bubba Wallace's stall. Mm -hmm. And this is right after the Confederate flag was, NASCAR said, you cannot have the Confederate flag here. Bubba Wallace was very outspoken about this. I don't think it was in any way 
unreasonable for them to act the way that they acted. A rational person would connect the dots and say, okay, Bubba Wallace is the force behind the Confederate flag, which is a really big deal in the South, yes. not being a part of our favorite sport, NASCAR, anymore, aside from SEC football. I can totally understand why NASCAR, I would have thought that that was the case. Why NASCAR would have figured, okay, there is a noose in the garage of an African-American player who was the force behind the Confederate flag not being a part of our sport anymore. This has to be a retribution to him. I totally understand that. And I I don't understand why, uh, I, I do understand, from my what I think is an objective standpoint. I don't understand why people don't get it, but there are people that believe that everything is deep state, everything is, is a conspiracy, and that this had to be something that was nefarious. It, it couldn't have been an innocent mistake. That there's people involved in this. Yeah. But you saw the photo. It's, yeah. a, it's a noose. Yeah. And there's one African-American driver. And it was in his stall. And even though now we found out it had been there before, then the question is, why is there a noose in there, period? Right. And if I'm NASCAR on Sunday, absolutely, I'm going to send out a strongly worded release. And because I believe that somebody did that, I'm going to find out who it was and I'm going to kick them out of the sport. That is the natural, should be the natural reaction of the sport. And you would think the natural reaction for everyone watching this play out is first and foremost thankful that... Bubba Wallace wasn't the victim of a hate crime because, as NASCAR said, what a heinous act for someone to commit. But then secondly, that NASCAR took such swift action here, and I think that they did the right thing by being more aggressive with their stance of, hey, we're not going to tolerate this, rather than, well, let's wait and see how this plays out. You know, we don't, we don't really know if this was directed towards him. You can't do that. You can't do that. You have to say, he's one of us. We're going to find out who did this. We're going to find out what the situation is. But either way, we will not tolerate anything like this in NASCAR ever again. And NASCAR, to their credit, and we mentioned this on Monday, they wouldn't have always turned out a statement. Somehow we would have found out. There would have been reporting, that, and we would have found out about the news. But the history of NASCAR shows that they would have tried to sweep something like this under the rug. Sure. So that's why I give them even more credit for being so vocal. Meanwhile, NASCAR is back. Golf is back with a lot of positive tests. We're getting baseball back. We're getting hockey back. We're getting basketball back. And maybe we're going to get football back. Malcolm Jenkins, who is an outspoken NFL player, though, is getting ready for training camp. But there's some trepidation on his part. He said... They, that the NFL really doesn't need to come back. The NBA is a lot different than, than the NFL because they can actually quarantine all of their players um, or whoever is going to participate, where we have over 2,000 players, even more coaches and staff. We can't do that. And so we'll end up being kind of on this uh, trust system where uh, the honor system where we just have to hope that guys are social distancing and things like that. And that puts all of us at risk, not only you know us as players and who's in the building, but when you go home to your families. Uh, I, you know, I have parents that I don't want to get sick. And I think until we get to the point where we have protocols in place and until we get to a place as a country where we feel safe doing it, we have to understand that football is a non-essential business. Football is not a non-essential business in the United States of America. I know that he's looking big picture and he's looking at it as somebody who's actually smart. I'm not going to look at it from that perspective. The NFL is... Americana and the NFL 
has to do everything it can to get back. I I totally get where Malcolm Jenkins is coming from because he's rational and smart. But I'm that person that says we got to have the NFL because the NFL it has become essential to America. It is an essential business, Michelle. I know we'd like to say not essential, and I know that the the brain says not essential, but the heart says we got to have that. It does. And to Malcolm Jenkins' point, I get where he's coming from. He's also made over $30 million in his career. So it's not essential for him to play. He can weigh those options because he's made his money already. Over 50% of the league has not made their money yet. So while from an outside standpoint, you can look at it and say, technically, it's not essential for those players, this is the way that they are going to generate money for their families. So for them, it is essential. And if I'm not mistaken, and this is just from an, the emotional aspect of things, and I'll double check this, but the year before last, for the 2018 season, 49 of the top 50 television shows on television were NFL games. The American psyche needs the NFL. Take it or we leave. Don't, we, we, yeah. we're, we're different because we were screwed by the NFL, but... In general, I would say the country does. Go ahead. Take it or leave it, Randy. An early Teoli. America, if given the option of baseball, NBA, and NHL, you can get all three of those to return, but no football, or you get NFL football and none of the other three. America takes football. The country will take football. I'll take that. Yeah. And NFL football specifically. Not even college football in there. Just strictly NFL football. They would take it. I'm with you. I think they would. So to your point, yeah. I think America needs football to happen. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And this is Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Coming up in a 60-game season, what in the long term is going to matter and what isn't? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Major League Baseball is going to get started at the end of July. And one of the questions you have after 60 games is what really matters? And we want to hear from you. The Air Comfort Service text line 65780. What does matter during a 60-game season? And, Michelle, we can start at the end and kind of work our way back here. But in 2020, with a 60-game season, does a world championship matter? I think it does matter. I think that it's going to be incredibly difficult to win a World Series this year. There are so many factors that are going to be laid out in front of these players and these managers and these organizations that they are not equipped to deal with. They're going to have to be reacting to so much on the fly, whether it's getting their body ready, how their body is going to handle this sprint and not a marathon, manager decisions. The list goes on and on and on. So while it's certainly not uh, the season that we expected, unless it's the Astros, we'll just put that caveat Mm -hmm. out there. The team that wins the World Series this year, I'm going to tip my cap to them. I'm with you. I think that uh, because of the way that everything is going to be set up, I think the biggest issue for me is going to be injuries. Mm -hmm. Over the the course of a six-month season, you have the opportunity to get guys back. If a guy suffers an injury here, uh, a one-month injury, he's going to be compromised. He's not going to be what he would have been over the course of a six-month season. So uh, injuries and then just the fact that you have to win that sprint to make the playoffs, I think that the world championship does matter. And that gets us into the next subject, which is the Manager of the Year Award. 
the manager of the year award to me is the thing in this entire list that matters the most this season. You're going to have to bring your A game every game if you're the manager. And you're, you're constructing your rosters. You're coming up with a game plan. You have to keep your guys in a certain mental space. Think, think about how players are going to react to some of this stuff. Not only are they essentially having to be isolated whenever they're doing this. Imagine if one of their teammates says positive. How are you going to handle that? How are you going to handle your team? Maybe panicking or freaking out. A lot of these guys are coming in here and even though they're excited to play, they might have uh, some residue from the way this went down with the owners. The mental aspect of this is just as important as the tactical side of this this year. And therefore, whoever wins managers of the year, Again, tip my cap to you. That's a great point that I hadn't even considered because my comp was going to be the Blues after January 3rd of 2019, where every game was a playoff game. Mm -hmm. And I really look at this as every game being a playoff game. But then when you add in the psychological factors of inherent fear or anger or whatever the emotion might be, and like the Cardinals had to deal with in 2002 with the death of Daryl Kyle and the great job Tony LaRusso did there, a manager is going to have to be beyond just a game psychologist and a tactician. He's going to have to handle the personal outside of baseball feelings of players and what they're dealing with. Yeah, I mean, oh gosh, there's so many things that think about when we initially got out of quarantine, everyone was kind of on edge. Everyone was kind of ready to snap in a different way. These players, whatever it may be, there's so many things that are that are coming at them that they're having to adjust to, whether it's the spitting or whether it's not being able to interact with your teammates in a certain way that you want to. It's uh, it's going to be a lot. And I think that the Cardinals are in a great position to have Mike Schilt be the one that's mm. leading them. And Skibo texts in from the 618, says that... Uh, or actually, he's from the 314. Whoever wins the World Series, that's your manager of the year. If ever there was a year to do the voting after the postseason, that's a great point. Mm-hmm. The voting should take place after the postseason. Okay, what about a 400 hitter? See, this is where I start to change my tune. I think a lot of these individual stats that we're going to talk about, I would not put in the context of a typical baseball season, obviously. But when we look back on this, it's going to have an asterisk next to it for me. It will But let me throw this out there. Since 2000, in the last 19 years, David Schoenfield of ESPN tells us that only one player has hit over 400 for the first 60 games of a season. And that was Chipper Jones, who hit 408 in 2008 over the first 60 games. Yes, the sample size isn't going to be as good. And are are we going to say, well, that was the last 400 hitter? I'm not. I, I don't think it matters in the big picture. But I am going to be impressed. I'll be impressed, too, because that's really difficult to achieve. Mm -hmm. Do you think anybody would even come close to it? Last year, Cody Bellinger was hitting three seventy six after 60 games. I don't think so. I think with the shortened spring training, and pitchers are always ahead of hitters, as Mm -hmm. we know, it's going to be pretty difficult to hit well. And nobody cares about batting average anymore anyway. That's right. So people are going to be taking walks. People are going to be swinging for the fences. That's just the nature of the sport. We talk about pitchers being ahead of hitters. What about a, a sub 1.12 ERA, Bob Gibson's record in 1968? Again, impressed. Ten years from now, when I look back, I'll say, oh, that was 2020, though. That was the 2020 season. Because as we know, with Jack Flaherty, put together a a dominant second half, but you also have to count in the first half of the season. And how is that going to change the way that we evaluate players moving forward? I just don't see 
even in a year like this, anybody doing that because of what the sport is? It's a scoring sport where people are hitting home runs and people are getting on base via the walk. And it's a game that's built for offense right now. Mm -hmm. So, again, you can't compare anything that happened over 162 games like Bob Gibson did in 1968 to now. But if somebody makes, in 60 games, if they make a dozen starts and they've got an earned run average of 1.05 that's going to be incredible and that is going to be comparable to what we saw from Flaherty in the second half last year which was the second best second half in the history of the game so you're going to have to give that pitcher his due but you can't compare it to what Bob Gibson did so we're throwing out these questions and we're saying what matters and what doesn't this season and I guess you could really frame that question differently based on every subcategory that we're asking. Because if somebody, if a pitcher goes out and does that, it's definitely going to matter. It's going to be impressive. It's going to it's going to matter to his fan base and his group. Yeah. But ninety five percent of baseball fans are going to say, "Well, it was only in a sixty game season." Exactly. So that's what we're talking about here. And I think in a year like this, one record that is. Almost certain to be broken is the single season slugging printed record because it's so hard to do over the course mm-hmm. of 162 games. So, again, it'll be impressive, but I don't think that anybody who sets that record is going to be able to logically claim, okay, well, I set the all time record for best slugging percentage in a season. No, I'm in that case because they, they did do it in the circumstances that were presented to them. And while we may look at it and say, yeah, but it was 2020, you didn't have mm-hmm. a full season. If you're the player that goes out there and does it, it's, it's almost in a way like the way when we talked to Mark McGuire and people said, well, it doesn't really count because of the helpers that you had. And he's like, but I still went out there and did it. I still executed that. So I feel like players, if they are able to go out and accomplish these things, are going to say within the confines of what I had to work with, I accomplished this. And here's an amazing thing about the all time slugging statistic the top six single season years barry bonds 2001 babe ruth 1920 babe ruth 1921 barry bonds 2004 barry bonds 2002 babe ruth 1927 bonds and ruth those are the only two guys that are in the top six and then you've got Gehrig, and then you've got ruth again Pretty good lineup. Yeah, pretty good. That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and this is 101 ESPN. It's Carriker and Smallman, and some great news from a local golf. And we're going to talk to Nick Ragone of Ascension about that next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Gary Carriker and Smallman, we are big golf fans, and we're very excited about the Ascension Charity Classic Golf Tournament. It's going to be here in St. Louis at Norwood, September 28th through October 4th. And in addition to Ascension, Emerson and Worldwide Technology have both signed on for four-year sponsorship commitments to join Ascension in bringing that golf tournament here to St. Louis in the fall. And Nick Ragone from Ascension is with us now on 101 ESPN. Nick is an executive vice president chief marketing officer for ascension and it's great to have him with us on the brown and coupon celebrity line nick thanks for taking some time with us this morning how are you doing i'm doing great thank you guys for reaching out we're uh, we're so excited to be sharing that emerson and worldwide are going to be joining us and 
bringing this world-class PGA Tour Champions event to, to North County. I think it's just wonderful for our community. And uh, obviously, Ascension is what well, was the first company in there. But not only to get those two companies, but two real St. Louis stalwart companies is really important to, to build the foundation for a tournament like this, isn't it? Absolutely. You know, when we first started talking about this, uh, actually two years ago with the PGA Tour, uh, we had a couple of conditions. One was um, all the proceeds needed to go to charity, which is our business model, Ascension. It's the tours model. And so we have Mary Grove, the Urban League, and the Boys and Girls Club as our primary beneficiaries. And the other condition was it had to be in North County. And we really wanted Norwood because it's a historic club. You know, Ben Hogan won the PGA there in 48. And it's, uh, you know, it represents North County, we think, is important for all of us, us, Emerson, worldwide, all the community citizens to to continue to focus on revitalization and investing charitable economic development. And so when we st- when we made the decision to do the tournament, our first thought was we need to have Emerson as a partner because, as you know, Emerson's headquartered right there. And, and they are uh, among the great companies in America when it comes to giving back to the community. They're a leader here in St. Louis. Uh, they're really a corporate role model for all of us and worldwide, too. And so we just felt like having those two on board was going to be critical to the long-term success and um, couldn't be more pleased with the way the, even through the pandemic, the way our our, uh, our community has rallied around this event. It's very heartening. Nick, speaking of the pandemic, what sort of challenges have you faced trying to put all this together during this time? You know, it's a great question. Um, we the, the hard work started, la- started last fall in putting the tournament together. And, um, and so we, we got off to a great start and we, we had a lot of great involvement. And then obviously the pandemic hit and uh, it slowed things down. But, you know, our number one concern has always been safety. And so as we think about the future of the tournament, you know, it's in October, so we have a little bit more time. But um, the biggest challenge right now is trying to figure out how to put on a safe tournament. And that might mean fans. It might not be fans that the PGA Tour, the Department of Health, we're working close with them. We have our own clinical staff at Ascension that's advising us on this. And so we're going to take a wait and see approach on on fans. But the number one concern will be safety. And we're watching, as you know, the tour has started up again in a few weeks. They're going to start bringing back fans. I think the whole country is going to watch and see how that goes. But um, we're going to put fan safety player safety, volunteer safety first, and then all of the decisions come after that. And it's interesting, Nick, because it, it, it theoretically, this could be the first sports event post-pandemic that St. Louis fans have an opportunity to attend. We, we aren't going to be able to watch Blues hockey because they're going to be in a pod system, and the, the Cardinals may or may not have fans, but it seems rather unlikely. So this might be the first sporting event that we have a chance to actually attend post-pandemic. Yeah, we. I, you know, it's it's interesting. I've I've heard that feedback from a lot of uh, from a lot of people over the last few months that we probably have the only live sporting event in the region for this calendar year, which is a great responsibility, right? I think we all have a responsibility to put on a safe event, but but to give back to the community and fans. And so, like I said, we we are taking a wait and see approach on whether or not we'll have fans. But one way or the other, we will have a great tournament. We think. Um, you know, the PGA Tour has been uh, putting on events without fans and they've been doing pretty well. And, you know, they're tracking player safety and player safety, fan safety, volunteer safety is going to be our number one concern. But um, even as we get through this year, you know, this is a long term commitment. Uh, we, we think that this is this the Ascension Charity Classic presented by Emerson is going to be a pillar in our community for many years to come. And it's just another great way uh, for the entire region to invest in North County in a fun way. You know, the uh, the PGA at Bell Reeve was a huge success, 
But that's once every 10 years, once every 15 years. This is going to be every year, and it's going to be something that will get better every year. Nick, my wife has long been a fan of, of Fred Couples. She's not a huge golf fan, but she always tuned mm-hmm. in to watch Freddie. So I think I think she'll be out there to, to follow him around. And I want to see how easily, in person, Ernie Els swings the club. The big easy. And Freddie, you know, your wife's not alone in, in being a Freddie fan. I hear uh, that there are many fans of Freddie out there. We we do think we'll have a spectacular field. I mean, the, the tour, if you look at the PJ Tour, their, their first three events, the fields have been stocked. Um, we, we The PJ Tour has told us that this event is a priority for them. They want to make this a, a strong, an elite event is the way they put it. And so we're going to have, we think we'll have Ernie Ells out there and Jim Furyk and Steve Stricker and Freddie and Bernard Longer. And I mean, some of the best golfers in the world, if you noticed a couple of weeks ago, Ernie Ells made the cut at the RBC Heritage. So did Bernard Longer at 62. So these are world-class golfers. And of course, um, you know, we're going to have some of our legends, Hale Irwin, you know, Brett from right here in St. Louis will be out there and you know, in a couple of weeks, uh, we might be announcing some additional legends of the game who are going to make a special appearance. So we are going to have an amazing field. Uh, it'll be two weeks after the U.S. Open. You know, the U.S. Open got moved back. Uh, the Ryder Cup is the week before, and there's still some determination on what's happening with that. But we're going to be in a really sweet spot of the schedule, too. And so it really, uh, notwithstanding the, the pandemic, we think, it, you know, this will be a good event for this year. Nick, putting this event on in St. Louis, was this on anyone's radar prior to the PGA Championship here in St. Louis, or was the success of that event something that was a catalyst to get this going? You know, that's a great question. We um, we had a sense we have a relationship with the PGA Tour in many of our local markets, and so we had been talking to them about doing something bigger, um, a signature national event for Ascension uh, in St. Louis. We'd been talking, you know, a couple of years ago, but after the PGA, those talks accelerated because it was clear that, A, this is the best sports community, which we already knew, but the rest of the world see, saw. And, B, the, the PGA Championship was a tipping point for the PGA Tour because they realized this is a special market, and they, they haven't had a regular presence here for a long time. And so it really did accelerate uh, the discussions. I mean, the PGA of America, which is a separate body, they put on the PGA, they, they, they had the largest fan attendance in their history, here at Bell Reeve, and even Tiger Woods said this was the best event he had ever attended. So I think it accelerated it, and it made it clear that we could do something special, again, for North County, for the region, in investment long term, because uh, this is a market where the PGA Tour should have a regular presence. It's the Ascension Charity Classic presented by Emerson, and thanks to our friends at Worldwide Technology, they're also involved. It's coming up September 28th through October 4th at Norwood Hills, and the website is ascensioncharityclassic.com. We're looking forward to it, Nick. Thanks so much for taking some time. Congratulations on the success in getting Emerson and Worldwide involved, and uh, can't wait. Yeah, me too, and I, I look forward to sharing more information as the summer goes on, so thank you guys. All right, Nick, take care. That is Nick Ragone from Ascension joining us on 101 ESPN, and it's there There really is nothing like, even if you aren't a golf fan, watching live golf. The PGA Championship was the first time I had ever done it. I then went to the Waste Management mm-hmm. Open in Phoenix afterwards, and you're right. It's a completely different experience. It's almost like hockey. You watch hockey on, on TV, great. You watch golf on TV, great. When you watch hockey live, it's night and day from when you watch it on TV. Same thing with golf. And how beautiful will that be in the first weekend of October here in St. Louis? Oh, it'll be perfect. It'll be awesome. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. It's Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Coming up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Take it or leave it. Coming your way on 101 ESPN. 
We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson is in with us this morning with your text to the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780. We appreciate you tuning in. And we made a donation to uh, Donnie Fandango's Radiothon at 105.7 The Point. That's going on right now. So if you're listening because we got promotion from the Riz Show on 105.7 The Point, glad to have you over here on uh, another Hubbard Radio morning show. Uh, this one on 101 ESPN. Welcome. Glad to have you. Yeah. We are team morning, so we're very excited for everything that The Point is doing today. Great efforts, great charity. And um, yeah, we will definitely, definitely take anyone that wants to come over here from The Point. And we did get a text from uh, the 314 that the Fast Lane actually made a donation as well. Wow. And uh, the listener had to come over here to listen to us because the song that the Fast Lane requested on 1057 The Point made his ears bleed. Do we so know I, what song it is? I, I was thinking maybe I Touch Myself because that's a Brad Thompson favorite. Divinals, yes. Yeah. So I'm not sure if that was the one, but probably. Is there a song that makes your ears bleed? Because there's only one that comes to the top of my head, and it's not even really a song. But do you remember that thing, What What Does the Fox Say? Oh, yeah. Oh, terrible. So that's a button pusher for you, huh? Yeah, big time. Yeah, I don't I, I don't have one. I guess I just don't listen enough. If I hear it for a second, I'll, I, I couldn't even tell you the name of songs that I hate because I get them off the radio so quickly. One song that I really hate is Hey There, Delilah. Mm-hmm. By the, what is it called? The plain white tea. Yeah. That's the most morose song I've ever heard in my life. The whole thing is just a gradual descent into bum, being bummed out. See, I didn't even pay attention to that. I'm going to listen now because of that. It's just like, oh. uh, Tanner, what do you got for us? All right. Well, you guys mentioned the fast lane from the 314. Meet from the fast lane said all four o'clock gifts are the morning show's responsibility. Take it or leave it. Uh, because of the pandemic, we had to shut down the front desk, uh-huh. and many people didn't come and get their gifts. And yes, I will, uh, and we will take, because we're nice people here with Carriker and Smallman, we will take responsibility for that, because clearly that's a show that takes no responsibility for anything. Randy, we love our listeners. We're a community here at Carriker and Smallman. Yeah. And so if our listeners can't get something, we're going to do everything we can to help them out. Right, and that's actually why we have a promotions department that likes us. They really don't like those guys. So we'll help you out. Yeah, we communicate with people. We do. All right, and yesterday, Fangrass released their 60-game projections, and they have the Chicago Cubs winning the NL Central with 32 wins. Take it or leave it, it will take 32 wins to win the NL Central this year. It'll take more than 32 wins. The Cardinals are going to win at least 36. So Fangrass is wrong. And, yeah, I'm going to say that uh, 32 will uh, – I'm going to leave that 32 will win it because 36 is going to be the number the Cardinals put up at least. I was going to say I'll take it but add, and it's going to be at least 32 wins. Yeah. Like that's going to be the floor of where you have to be to win the division. Right. That that would be, by the way, a really good season for the Cubs. You go 32 and 28, that would be a really good 60-game season for the Cubbies. Do you feel threatened by the Cubs? No. I don't either. And – I don't know in this scenario, when you talk about, we talked about everything that a manager's going to have to do, is David Ross going to be ready to go for a 60-game season? We're about to find out. Yep. All right. From the 636, take it or leave it, Dylan Carlson will win Rookie of the Year in 2020. Oh, man. 
I'm tempted, but that means yeah. he's here and that means he's playing. Uh, but I really would love I'm, that. I'm going to leave it. I'm just going to say the odds are against it. I'll take the field. Should I take it just so we put it in the yes, universe? Put okay, it out I'm there. taking it. We're putting it out there. All right. And yesterday, Liverpool won its first title in the English Premier League. And if it weren't for the pandemic, of course, I'm assuming in England, there would have been a massive parade for all those Liverpool fans. Mm -hmm. Take it or leave it. When St. Louis FC wins its first MLS championship, their championship parade will rival a Cardinals or Blues championship parade. Well, those are two different things because I don't know if anything can rival the Blues parade. I was just going to say... I'm leaving it only because of the Blues Parade being involved in this equation. That was over 50 years of heartbreak and torture and waiting for this moment. Nothing is ever going to top that. That's the thing. You can't get any better than the Blues Parade was. Yeah, can it rival a Blues Parade because now the Blues have laid down the template for what a great parade is? Yeah, it can rival it, but nothing's ever going to beat it. No, the the payoff won't be as great no. because you, uh, I'm assuming with, with St. Louis FC, we won't have to wait that long. I'm assuming that there it's going to be a great product and that they're, well, they're going to notch a championship. You're 100% correct there. But because it is our team, it's going to be a great parade. It's going to be awesome. Great yeah, parade. It's St. Louis. St. Right. Louis, exactly. So yesterday, the NFL announced that the Hall of Fame game is going to be canceled for this year. And the former Rams wide receiver Isaac Bruce was elected this year. And he's going to have to unfortunately wait another year to be enshrined into the Hall of Fame. Take it or leave it. If Isaac Bruce isn't on that 1999 Rams team, the Rams don't win Super Bowl 34. I think that is a totally legit argument. He was the key in ending that long losing streak against San Francisco with the four touchdowns, three in the first quarter in the game here. Obviously, he scores the touchdown to get him off and running against Minnesota, scores the winning touchdown in the Super Bowl. Let's just make that argument right there. If Isaac Bruce isn't there to score on that 73-yard touchdown pass to win Super Bowl 34, they don't win it. So, yeah, I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it too. Who's obviously such a dominant piece of that equation, but there were so many options mm-hmm. on that offense, Randy. Who's one that you could say, okay, maybe if they didn't have him, even though how, however great he was, they could have still gotten it done. Twenty-eight. He was a jerk, but he could play. Yeah, Marshall might be the best. I shouldn't say best because Mulder Payton was the best all-around running back. I'll say this: the three best all-around running backs in the history of the league are. Walter Payton, and this includes blocking, knowing the offense, running, catching passes out of the backfield. Walter Payton, Marshall Falk, Ladanian Tomlinson. Those are the three best ever. Wasn't Marshall second in receptions on that offense, too? He right? was, yeah. And he had 1,000 yards rushing and 1,000 yards receiving. He was the key. He was the linchpin. There's no doubt about it. All right, take it or leave it. We will see a team finish below or finish at 500 and make the MLB postseason this year. Leave it. If we had expanded playoffs, I would say yes. Yeah, same. But because we have the same system that we had last year, everybody that makes it will be over 500. I agree. Yesterday when I got home, I decided to have, I had a little craving, made a chicken quesadilla. Take it or leave it. Chicken quesadilla is the best kind of quesadilla. I'm going to take it. I don't really care for a shrimp quesadilla a steak quesadilla is delicious but if I'm making a quesadilla I'm not just doing tortilla cheese meat 
I'm going to throw in some accoutrements there. And I think that the chicken is a better foundation to add things like that. So I'm, I'm going to take it. I'm going to leave it because I am just a straight cheese quesadilla guy. Whoa. Yep. I don't, uh, no protein in there. My protein is my cheese. So it's, yeah, cheese with, and I'll, I'll put some, uh, some picante sauce on there, some sour cream on top, but I don't need to have chicken or steak or shrimp with my quesadilla. No roasted veggies or anything? I can put those on top, but but I don't need to have them as part of it. I can hey, I, I can just do cheese. It's like a grilled cheese sandwich. Wow. I feel shocked by this. I just assumed, Randy, the grill guy, you're always making meat on the grill, that you would definitely want to have some sort of meat in your quesadilla here. I don't turn them down. But I just, for, like, it's not like I will not eat a shrimp or a chicken or a, a steak quesadilla. But if I'm going to have one, if I'm if I'm ordering at a restaurant, one quesadilla for Randy, I, I can go cheese and that's no problem at all. It just seems so flat without the meat inside. Uh, I've got the all the I, I got the savory items. The, the sour cream makes a lot uh, of difference uh, when when you have the, the different sauces. You're fine. Do you fold it like a piece of pizza and eat it that way? Yes. Do you? Not no, not if I have meat in it. It oh, you know, it's you kind can. of difficult to do that. It depends on how it's, it's done. Too heavy sometimes. Yeah, and I prefer actually a smaller rather than a like a 12 I, I'm not a big 12-inch uh, tortilla guy for a quesadilla. I'm more of an 8-inch tortilla guy. Learn something new about you every day, Randy. <laughs> Thank you, Tanner. And thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Michelle and Randy, and coming up, our fresh take as we take you through this day of sports on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. A fresh perspective on the day's biggest stories. It's Character and Smallman's Fresh Take. Powered by Schnucks. Eat good to feel great at Schnucks on 101 ESPN. Coming up on 8.03 with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And Michelle, we were talking during the break about sports coming back and people in the stands. And this from USA Today. As health officials in Houston warned that they're running out of ER space because of a surge in COVID-19 cases. And the governor of Texas urged residents to stay home. Astros owner Jim Crane proclaimed Wednesday that he's going to put butts in the seats and sell all the beer and t-shirts he can at Minute Maid Park. He, despite Houston actually becoming the hotspot of COVID-19 right now, is planning on having fans in the stands because he can at Astros games. This is so confusing to me. I don't know how from a leadership standpoint, you can present your players with 100 plus pages of guidelines and of, of things that you're putting in place to protect them from a health and safety standpoint. And then you want to introduce other unknown factors into that environment. Haven't we said the entire basis for containing this is limiting the amount of people that are going to be around the game and and I know that pl- that fans who would come in would have to go through some protocols but why would you even want to risk that here's why Michelle and if, if you aren't aware of it so I'm going to tell you Michelle has had trouble sleeping there's a lot going on right now Michelle is she thinks about this stuff she cares about the world and cares about people and health and society I internalize it so 
here's what uh, is said about the Astros. Because this pandemic-delayed season is going to cost Crane and his fellow team owners many million doll- millions of dollars in revenue. He said, quote, this is the owner of the Astros, where the pandemic is ravaging the city right now. The only thing we have that can counter that, losing money, is to get some people into the building and sell some tickets and merchandise and sell some cold beer or whatever they let us have. I'm at a loss for words that someone, well, A, it's baseball, B, we're talking the Astros here, Mm -hmm. could be so short-sighted and even want to put themselves in that position. There's a lot of other ways you can make money. I mean, we were just talking in the break, the Giants are going to display fans' images in the stands, which I think is very cool. Yeah. Why don't teams get together and figure out a way to make money for that? Saying, hey, if you pay $1,000, you can be in the front row right behind home mm-hmm. plate. Whatever image you send, we'll put it out. And then the money can can lessen the higher up that you get. But we have bricks outside Bush Stadium that people pay for to put their names on it. I think a lot of fans would be willing to spend some money to see their kid on TV or to see their family member or friend on TV. It would be a great gift to give someone. Be creative. Don't put yourself and other people at risk. Follow the lead of the Korean baseball organization. They've done a great job with putting pictures of people in the stands or putting stuffed animals in the stands. But for the Astros owner, and let's be real about this, the demographic of baseball is inherently an at-risk demographic for the virus. For him to say the only way that we can make up our money is to get some people into the building and sell some tickets and merchandise and some cold beer is literally putting people's lives at risk. The owner of the Astros said, I don't care about your life as long as you give me money. He, I just looked it up. So he's 66, mm-hmm. which means he's in a certain demographic as well that's at risk to be affected negatively by COVID. Would he want to sit in the stands of a game? He'll probably sit up in his box socially distance with the mask on, right? But I mean, if he if he were to sit in the stands, but I don't play right next to somebody he doesn't know. Would he have fear that he would get sick? I would hope that he would have fear. Well, that I would hope he would be intelligent enough to have fear. Well, that would be reason enough attention. to yeah. not put anyone else at risk. Right. And that's the thing is it's beyond your own fear, but wearing a mask is to protect others. And you would hope that somebody like that who owns a community trust in Houston. Owning a sports team is owning a community trust, and people are supposed to trust you. They should. I believe the Cardinals and the Blues do a great job, and St. Louis FC. They do a great job of providing their customers, their fans, the ability to stay healthy. The Cardinals are doing that. But Around sports, it's not always going to happen. We've talked a lot about the SEC. And for the SEC, I don't think it's about money as much as it is. Is It's that, well, we, we're we not going to do that. We aren't, we aren't going to be told what to do. We're yeah. going to go sit in the stands. Defiance. Yeah. But the trend in 2020 of baseball has been just blatant and shameless greed. It has. And it's unfortunate that one person can paint the entire sport with a brush. And there are multiple franchises that do want to put people in the stands. But 
this is a situation where you really have to be careful. And especially if you're in the state of Texas, if you're in the state of Arizona, and Ken Kendrick hasn't been uh, really community thinking from a community perspective either, the owner of the Diamondbacks, to me... The first and foremost thing that you should do as a sports owner is make sure that health is at the top of mind for your players, employees, fans, everybody involved with your franchise, even tangential, whatever way they're involved, try to get them, make sure that they're healthy and they don't get sick at your, because of your uh, neglect. And this is something that I would think would have been discussed during all of this time that we were having discussions. You would think Rob Manfred would say, hey, we're going to have one universal rule on fans throughout baseball so that a franchise who isn't allowing fans in isn't punished from a financial standpoint because whether their state has certain restrictions or they personally do not want to put other people at risk, they shouldn't be punished for that. And I just the whole the whole thing is nuts. It's absolutely crazy that we're even having this discussion. The Red Sox say they want to have fans in the stands. The Twins president Dave St. Peter said that he does. The Cubs exploring whether it's possible to open the rooftops across from Wrigley Field and have fans in those seats. So there are multiple franchises that want to try to get back some of the money that they believe they've lost and they are inherently with this disease that has killed. Are we still over 100? Have we reached 130,000 people in America yet? Let's find out. And right now has more positive cases in especially those Sunbelt states than they've ever had. It's an issue that is going to really affect the sport. And here's the thing, Michelle. You're getting players tested every other day. You can't walk through the gates if you test positive. If you're a player, are they going to test people? Are they going to test fans before they come into a ballpark? If if you're going to test all of your players, you've got tier one, tier two, tier three, and you are going to allow media to be around your players, Mm -hmm. which they shouldn't, and you aren't going to allow many team employees to be around your players, which you shouldn't. Why should you allow fans to be together and put them at risk? That is why I find this to be so outrageous. If, if people want to go out and live their lives in a certain manner, go ahead. It's your life. You make your decisions. But for owners to be putting this much effort into protecting their players and making players go through this no spitting, testing, isolation, all of these things to protect them, but then inviting outside sources in that could tamper with that in any way. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't seem like a logical equation. It, 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 it seems like one is diametrically opposed to the other. And all it takes is one sneeze, right? If somebody is sitting four rows away from the dugout, one sneeze and the wind blowing in the right direction can cause a problem. I think if I was a player, I would say if, if you're going to you know, put fans in our atmosphere here, then why do I have to go through all these tests? Right, yeah. Why am I having to sit at home at night and play video games and I'm not allowed to go out and hang out with people? And by the way, specific to the Astros, that's an indoor facility for the most part. Right. It's amazing. That's Michelle, I'm Randy, and that is uh, today's uh, fresh take here on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we're going to head into the Blues booth. Joey Vitale will join us next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. 
This is Carriker and Smallman. We're talking everything St. Louis Blues as we head into the Blues Booth. The Blues Booth is brought to you by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. When it's time for new flooring in your home, Real Wood provides the best long-term value. Boardwalk has great floors for every home. Visit our three area showrooms and online at BoardwalkHardwood.com. The Blues Analyst for Blues Games here on Your Home of the Blues, 101 ESPN. Joey Vitale joins us in the Blues booth via the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line on 101 ESPN. We always enjoy these Friday morning visits with our buddy. How are you? Hey, Randy. Hey, I'm doing good, buddy. I, I had an anniversary. My wife and I had 10-year anniversary this week. And, you know, we went to the Missouri Botanical Gardens. And, you know, that was one of those spots here in St. Louis, much like the Arch, that I've actually never been to. And, and native of St. Louis, is a, it's a hot spot for tourists, Randy and Michelle, as you know. And I just never thought to go, get around to go to it. I tell you what, I was fascinated. I never thought I'd enjoy flowers so much. That is a beautiful little spot we got here in St. Louis. We should all feel very lucky. We should. And, Joey, I'll tell you this, not at my behest, but my family were Botanical Garden members. And they have some really cool things during the holidays, during the summer. when they It's actually in the fall. They have a Japanese festival that's really cool. But they have lights during the holiday season. It really is kind of a, a hidden, unknown gem for many people here. It's beautiful, and you know, you you come in off Shaw, and you see the entrance, and you think it's just it's just kind of a small park, but then you go in, and it just there's like layers and layers and layers to it. It just kind of goes on forever. And, and to your point about becoming a member, Randy, we liked it so much, we signed up. We're, we're annual members now. Love it. And uh, I'm I'm talking about going back, and it was amazing too. I was walking around, uh, you know, the grounds there. I got to thinking about squirrels, Randy. Like, there's these squirrels that are just living the dream in the Missouri Botanical Gardens. And I got to thinking, why doesn't every squirrel live? Like, if I'm a squirrel, I'm going to the Missouri Botanical Gardens. I mean, uh, it's well-kept grass, plenty of food. I don't think there's a threat. There's no coyotes, from what I understand, in the Missouri Botanical Gardens. I mean, maybe no other squirrels in St. Louis know about it. Maybe that's a problem. But if I'm a squirrel, I'll tell you what, I'm going to the Botanical Gardens. Joey, here's my theory there. Just like you, who's lived in St. Louis forever, and you had never been there, I think the squirrels that are in the Missouri Botanical Garden know how good they have it, and so they're trying to keep it a secret because they're like, hey, we don't want to be overrun with all these squirrels here. Part of the beauty is that we have space to roam here. I think You know what, Michelle? That's a really good point. I, I think that that's probably why no squirrels are inviting their squirrel friends from, let's say, Kirkwood or Sunset Hills to the Missouri, because once they know, then they're like, oh, my God. It's kind of the same way when you go to Disney World and you see the ducks on the pond right outside Cinderella's Castle. I'm like, I'm a freaking duck. I'm living it. I'm Disney World. You get free food. People give you free food. They admire you. think you're, you know, great. You have this castle to look at, all the different tourists. It's great people watching. But, you know, um, ducks are a little bit tougher probably because ducks are flying over. So I would imagine that the ducks, through the, the hierarchy system of um, the, the strongest will survive, I'd imagine that the ducks living in Disney World are probably the strongest ducks in the world because they're constantly fighting off other ducks who have the V formation flying over Magic Kingdom. Yeah, Darwinism with the ducks for sure, Joey. And I appreciate that you have revealed that it was your first time at the Botanical Garden because sometimes 
us here in St. Louis, if we reveal that we haven't done something very classic St. Louis, we kind of catch some side eye. For instance, last summer, I had admitted publicly that I had never been to Ted Drew's and people torched me for it. I grew up on the ill side. We went to White Cottage. When we would come over to St. Louis, it was a very specific reason. We're going to a game. We're going to Union Station. We just never made it to Ted Drew's. I remedied that. It was amazing. But Joey, is there anything other than the Botanical Garden that is very St. Louis that you have not done? Um, you know what? I have never, besides the Botanical Garden, you know, okay, I, I've never actually been to the City Museum. I guess I could say that's probably one. The City Museum. Oh, yeah. I've actually never been to the Art Museum down in Forest Park. Uh, never been to the Art Museum. And I've never sledded down or slayed down, however you say it, Art Hill during the winter months um, down in Forest Park either. I guess I've, I've really never experienced Forest Park to its full depth, I would say. That's probably my my biggest um, hit against me as far as a St. Louis native. And you will like the art museum. Your, your, your personality lends itself well to enjoying the art museum. I'm going to take that as a compliment, Randy. Thank no, you. No, you're, you're a cultured guy. Now, here, Joey, is one of the things that, and Michelle, I want you to weigh in on this, okay. but I have difficulty. The the ten the traditional gift for ten year anniversary is aluminum or tin. So, like, what are you are you supposed to buy your wife a, a thing of foil or a DeLorean? What what is the nice aluminum or tin gift that you get somebody for a ten year anniversary? Don't fall for it, boys. That that's a trick. I read that same thing. Apparently, every year it's like a certain thing: mm-hmm. copper and magnesium. A guy wrote that. A guy wrote that, all that dialogue you're reading, and, and, and you're a fool if you fall for it. Diamonds. What do you get one year? Diamonds. What do you get two years? Diamonds. Ten years. Twenty years. Diamonds. Diamonds. Just keep pushing the diamonds, and you'll be out of the doghouse. Don't listen to that thing. That's, jo- that's false. Joey, that's an elite play by you. Elite play. Because as Randy's going through this, I'm thinking... Tin. That sounds like a guy said that so that he could buy himself something to put in his garage and say happy anniversary to us. But you're right, Joey. You cannot go wrong with consistent (laughs) diamonds as a gift. Diamonds. You know, Michelle. Bigger is better and biggest is best. Come on. Let's not not kid ourselves here. I'm not getting her a tin antique Coca-Cola sign that I found on Highway 44 outside Steelville. No way. Not happening. I like my house. I like sleeping in my bed. Good idea. Well, Joey, speaking of diamonds, we won another Stanley Cup championship ring here in St. Louis, and I'm so excited for hockey to get back up and and rolling here. Are you counting down the days the same way we are? It's just, it feels like it's so close yet so far. I am. You know, I tell you what, I am, guys. And, you know, I think for me, it, it gets more and more exciting. You know, I, I, I drop in and, and catch up with some players, both on the Blues and on different teams around the league that I played with, just to kind of, see where they're at, how they're feeling. And I get more excited on a daily basis because of the energy that I'm receiving from these guys. You know, I think it's easy to look at these players and say that I wonder if these guys are even excited to play. Uh, they're leaving their, their lake houses or the guys in Europe are leaving the ocean fronts and they're coming back and playing hockey in July. This has got to be weird, right? Uh, it's actually quite the opposite from what I've actually talked to. I think guys are really energized. They're, they're full of of vinegar and they're excited to get back. Uh, they're excited to uh, the prospect of playing a month and a half of hockey where they could potentially have a Stanley cup ring and have their name on the cup and have a parade. I mean, all the things you, you love as a hockey player and the goal you reach for, uh, they don't look at it with an asterisk. This is, this is the real deal. And they're going to go after it in some ways. They think it's going to be one of the hardest ones to win for that reason. 
they're excited to come back. Uh, the Blues players are slowly trickling in. You have a couple more guys from European or the European guys coming in on Sunday. I think we'll be full intact uh, sometime mid to late next week. So seeing all the guys on the ice, I, I am getting more and more excited. I think this thing still is trending in the right direction. I know there was a bit of a setback last week with some uh, new players testing positive. Uh, but again, from what I've heard from players, uh, they look at it like more players are being tested, and that's just uh, the reality of the situation. It doesn't seem like it's kind of going to hinder anything moving forward, guys. I really feel like we're going to see some hockey here in August. Joey, baseball has instituted a rule, absolutely no fighting, completely 100% forbidden. Does hockey need to do that in this environment with COVID-19 is completely outlaw fighting? You know what? That's a, that's a really interesting point, Randy. I, not, I actually haven't read about that yet. Um, so I actually would love to, to kind of think about this on a high, on, a, on a, another level, but you know, it is playoffs. So you don't typically see a lot of fighting in playoffs, but, uh, I, I can see them. I can see the league coming out and saying, at least for this COVID little run for this Stanley cup run, there, there will be no fighting. I think they're going to try to limit it. But again, it's, if, if you limit fighting, I mean, you're not any closer than you would be if you're battling with someone at the front of the net. I just think from, um, uh, a transfer of, fluid that that makes sense mm-hmm. whether it's spit mm-hmm. and blood uh that that could be a, a possible extra you know a worry as far as the transmission so you would say that maybe the league does come out and say that no fighting i think the players wouldn't have a problem with that again i don't think we're going to see many many instances where we're going to see a lot of fighting my, my biggest thing i think that the league needs to say something about and whether the players hold true to this or not or how strictly enforces it or not is going to be hard but i mean you ever look at the bench guys during the game it's just constant spinning and I remember playing, I would take a swig of Gatorade, spit it out, swig of water, spit it out. And it's not only for hydration. It's not only to get new energy. Uh, players actually do it as a ritual. They do it as um, something that keeps them in a routine on the bench. Um, a lot of players, like, for example, I'll give you another example, Shane Doan. He'd come on the bench after he caught a breath. He'd get his orange Gatorade, swish it, spit it out. Water, swish it, spit it out. It was his routine. Every shift, he would do that. So I, I kind of am curious to see what the league's going to come out with as far as uh, bench uh, procedures and protocols, as far as what these players are allowed to do or not allowed to do. Now you're going to have your missteps, of course. But uh, I I would like to think that trainers and and league officials are going to try to minimize spinning as much as possible, especially on a bench where players are sitting so close together. Joey, I I need to get the full visual here. So are you just spitting this on the floor? Because I'm imagining Craig Berube wading through liquid uh, on the bottom of the bench area there. It's gross. It, it's all on the floor, guys. I'm t- and, and you know what my job was, and especially in Arizona, I would grab a Gatorade water bottle and I would literally just hose down the floor. I kind of did my best. I guess what I found out, and Randy and Michelle, you may know this better than me, but I read a book, I read an article somewhere that Tony Larusa would actually pick up um, the dugout, like mm-hmm. gum wrappers and gum and peanuts, and he wanted like a clean dugout. I don't know if this is true or not, but I, I read this. I'm like, you know what? I like that. So I would actually take the water bottle and I would just squeegee. I would squeegee the bench. Because especially in the third period when I wasn't playing very much, I was at least doing my part, um, you know, safety protocol as far as trying to keep the bench clean. But is, that, is that true about Tony Russo? Did he do that? That is, and that's in, we're, we're having a character and Smallman baseball book club, and our first book is Three Nights in August, and that is written in Three Nights in August. Well, there you go. There you go. So I'm, I'm basically like Tony LaRusso. That's great. Hey, one more thing, because uh, we are a cultured group, Randy and Michelle Mm -hmm. and Joey, and uh, more cultured now than we were before this 10-year anniversary for Joey and his bride. But uh, Hamilton, are you a a play guy? And do you have any interest in watching Hamilton as it debuts next week on the Disney Plus channel? 
Hey, I would love to watch Hamilton. I heard some really good buzz about it. I had a good friend of mine go to Chicago, watch the show. He said it lived up to the hype. Uh, I was never a Broadway guy, uh, Broadway guy, guys, until I went to New York. I think it was maybe my fourth or fifth year in the league. And um, Korpakowski, Keith Yandel, and like two, like Kyle Chipchura. He's like, we're going to a Broadway show. We were in New York for like four days. I'm like, Broadway show? What, what, what are you talking about, Broadway show? I'm not going to Broadway show. Like, I don't know Broadway shows. I, I, beat, I beat people up, and I eat steak, and I, I make beef jerky on the side. That's why I'm a man. You know what I mean? Um, but like, no, you, you got to go check this out. Broadway's awesome. So we actually saw, we saw the Book of Mormon. Oh, so good. Great. <laughs> Which, guys, I was on the edge of my seat. I was, like, curled over. I was laughing so hard. But, I mean, uh, the anticipation, you did the dinner before, and then you watched the show, and then there's the after party, and it was just... I kind of really fell in love with Broadway. And since that day, um, at the Fox, my wife and I we went to Jersey Boys multiple times. I love Mamma Mia. Mamma Mia has turned me on to uh, ABBA, which is now probably my favorite band of all time. I love ABBA awesome. music. We can listen. It's listened to, it is played throughout our Alexa in the house probably 90% of the days. If you ever come to my house, ABBA is just playing. And my kids love it. So, yeah, I've had a great relationship with Broadway ever since. And I'm excited to see Hamilton. I'm just like you guys. Absolutely. Joey, I will say this. A lot of things get overhyped and they don't deliver. 10 out of 10, everyone loves Hamilton. It's one of those really? things where even though the hype is there, it's going to be that good when you see it, I can promise you. Well, I can't wait. You know, I, I, hopefully one day I'll see it at the Fox, too. They have great Twizzler at the Fox, the, the Twizzler candy. You know, you can always tell a good Twizzler from a bad Twizzler because it's got to be soft. Uh, old Twizzler, it's like got a really hard texture to it. But every time I go to the Fox, I get the bag of Twizzlers and a Coke. And they have the best Twizzler in St. Louis. So I'm looking forward to that. They're awesome. Joey V, always great to have you on the show. Thanks so much for the time. Have a great weekend. And uh, we're going to something up because we're off next week. We're going to do a best of show on July 3rd. So maybe we can get together on Thursday, the 2nd. Hey, it sounds great. It's the highlight of my week, guys. It's all downhill from here. You guys have a great weekend. All right. See you, brother. Take care. That is our friend Joey Vitale joining us in the Blues booth on 101 ESPN. We talked about squirrels. We talked about... Culture, Cult, botanical garden, wedding anniversaries, diamonds. You can go any route with Joy Vitalian. He is going to deliver. And by the way, from the 618, we get this text uh, White Cottage for the win. White Cottage is awesome. Highly underrated. I've never had it. In Belleville, it's not underrated, but. You know, when mm-hmm. you think ice cream in the in the St. Louis area, Metro East, you're always thinking Ted Drews. But like I said, from where I'm from, we had an unbelievable ice cream situation right in my backyard. So we didn't need to drive all the way over to Ted Drews. I totally get it. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And this is 101 ESPN. Coming up, we've got a new fighter for The Fight. Think you can beat down Character? We sure hope you can. The Fight with Character, brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Your best choice for quality tires and expert auto service. Dobbs on 101 ESPN. Welcome back to Character and Smallman here on 101 ESPN 836, which means it is time for the last fight of the week. We have Tanner in today. Tanner, what are we fighting for? Well, today we're going to be fighting for a gift card to Fox Sports Midwest Live reopening soon at Ballpark Village. And we want you to get stocked up and be ready when they do. We do want you to be ready. And that means Jonathan, who is our fighter today, we want him to be ready and enjoy that situation at Ballpark Village. Jonathan, good morning. Happy Friday. How are you doing? 
I'm doing well. How are you doing? I am doing great. Are you ready to take on Randy today? Absolutely. Let's go. Let's go. All right, Jonathan. Question number one. The Fast Lane had Cardinal starter Miles Michaelis on the show yesterday. Before joining the Cardinals in 2018, Michaelis pitched in the Professional Baseball League in Japan. What team did he pitch for? Was it the Swallows, the Giants, or the Tigers? The Giants. All right. Question number two. Liverpool won its first ever English Premier League title yesterday. What club has won the most titles in the English Premier League? Is it Manchester City, Arsenal, or Manchester United? Manchester United. Little EPL question in there. I like it. Yesterday, the NFL announced that the Hall of Fame game on August 6th will be canceled. When was the last time the NFL canceled the Hall of Fame game? Was it 2005, 2011, or 2016? 2011. And the last one here with a shortened season for baseball this year. There's been a lot of talks about someone hitting over 400 this year. Who is the only Cardinals player to do so? Was it Jim Bottomley, Stan the Man Musial, or Roger Hornsby? Mm, between Stan and Roger Hornsby. I'm going to say Roger Hornsby because I sat next to one of his defenders at a baseball game. All right, Jonathan. Uh, Tanner's going to go out in the hall and get Randy. Jonathan, you sound like you're in a great mood. Do you have great weekend plans lined up? Because I feel like you do. I do. I'm off on the weekend. I'm going to spend it with my family. Oh, perfect. That sounds great. You guys have anything in particular that you're planning on doing? Uh, no, we're going to go get my daughter some fireworks and, and, and go from there. Oh, man. A little pre-4th of July celebration. I like it. That would be correct. All right. Randy is making his way back into the studio. Oh, no, he's not. That is Tanner. We have lost Randy. We do not know where Randy went. <laughs> I, You know what? I'm going to guess. I'm going to go ahead and have a hypothetical here. I bet he got pulled into the point because they're doing Donnie's Radiothon over there. And I'm going to guess that Randy was loitering in the hallway and he got sucked into the vortex that is the point. That'd be my guess, too, because they're the ones that were coming in and talking earlier, weren't they? That's right. And another theory, he knows that Jonathan just did very well in the fight and he's intimidated. Oh, that's a possibility, too. He's running in. Randy, did you get sucked into the point? I did not know I was um, talking to our general manager, John Kioski. Oh, well, Kioski's the best, so, yeah, so we approve. Say good morning to Jonathan. Hey, Jonathan, how are you? I'm doing well, Randy. How you doing? Doing great. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing today. Appreciate it. Thank you, sir. All right, Randy. The fast lane had Miles Michaelis on the show yesterday. Uh -huh. Before joining the Cardinals in 2018, Michaelis pitched in the Professional Baseball League in Japan. What team did he pitch for? I'll do the lifeline here. Is it the Swallows, the Giants, or the Tigers? It's the Yakult Swallows, the Yomiuri Giants, or the Hanshin Tigers. That is so impressive that you know that. I know my Japanese baseball leagues, but I don't remember. I think that he might have been... Um, I'll go with Hanshin Tigers. Okay. All right, Randy, Liverpool won its first ever English Premier League title yes. yesterday. What club has won the most titles in the English Premier League? We're going Japanese baseball and EPL. Yeah. We're, yeah. we're giving you tough ones this, this week. I'll go Man U. Randy, yesterday the NFL announced that the Hall of Fame game on August 6th is going to be canceled. When was the last time the NFL canceled the Hall of Fame game? They didn't have it in 2011 when the Rams were supposed to play. So I will go with uh, with that when we had the lockout in 2011. 
All right, last one here, Randy. With the shortened season for baseball this year, there's been a lot of talk, and we even talked about it earlier on the show, about someone hitting over 400 this year. Mm-hmm. Who is the only Cardinals player to ever do so? Rogers Hornsby. We've got a winner. The winner and new champion of the fight, Average Joe Listener. Congratulations, Jonathan. Your weekend just got that much better. You defeated Randy today 3-2. to two. Mm. Three to two. Miles Michaelis, wow. before he joined the Cardinals in 28, did pitch for the Giants. Um, the club that has won the most titles in the English Premier League is Manchester United, 13 titles. The last time the NFL canceled the Hall of Fame game was 2016. Mm. It was canceled oh, in 2011. Yep, poor field conditions, and it was Rogers Hornsby was the only player to hit over 400. Jonathan, thank you for playing. We'll talk to you on Monday. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Jonathan. Good to have you with us on 101 ESPN. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And coming up, Ken Rosenthal is saying that the Cardinals might not get Nolan Arenado for the stretch run in 2020. We'll talk about why next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Michelle, an interesting question posed by Ken Rosenthal at The Athletic, and this applies to the Cardinals and Nolan Arenado, although specifically he's talking about Francisco Lindor. He said, a team that trades for Lindor also would acquire him for his final year of control in 2021. Two executives, however, posed this question. How much would a contender give up for Lindor knowing COVID-19 might force a cancellation of the postseason? Put yourself in the Cardinals' shoes as well. Not only in terms of giving up prospects, but in terms of paying a guy like Arenado for the rest, for a month of 2020. That's a lot of money for a guy like that. Might the Cardinals be reluctant to pursue Arenado during the season? I'm not saying that they would quit on trying to get him, but quit on pursuing him during the season if they knew A... They had to pay him, but B, with the chance that he might not be able to help them win a World Series because there might not be a World Series. I think it lessens the chances tremendously, especially from the Cardinals who take a very measured approach and a very... um they re- they restrict themselves from going out and making those big deals. Can you imagine the Cardinals during the most unprecedented time of our lives with so many unpredictable factors laid out before them going out and making a big move like that? I can't. They aren't in that regard. They aren't really dice rollers. It's different if you're going out and making a trade for Paul Goldschmidt during an offseason and you have that full season to try to lure him and try to get him to sign. Not that Arenado wouldn't be here, but my point is this, that the the Cardinals would be rolling the dice on a guarantee that there would be a postseason with Arenado. It, it seems to me that they, especially with reduced revenues this year, we know that there aren't going to be fans in the stands. They might be more inclined to pursue a guy like that once revenue streams are restored through ticket revenue and concessions and things like that. And they know that the reason that they get Lindor or, or, or get Arenado, rather, the postseason is definitely going to be there. This is something that I brought up yesterday, too. I keep wondering how different clubs are going to value this season. If clubs are going to say, hey, we have a better chance because it's a sprint, not a marathon, and we're going to go all in. This might be our best chance to capitalize on this group that we have right now, so we're going to go all in. Or if other clubs are taking a more conservative approach, saying, 
this is too unpredictable. We're not going to mortgage our future in 2021 and beyond for what is going to be kind of an asterisk season for a lot of people. Give me one team that in 2020 needs to go all in. After we talked to Greg Amzinger, I think the Tampa Bay Rays is an interesting uh, team to look for. I'm trying to think of another one because... What, mine? Yeah, okay, go ahead. I'm going Dodgers. So I was going to say Dodgers, but I feel like they're already there, though. But they have to win a championship. Franchise hasn't won a championship since 88. They've been to the playoffs seven consecutive years. They have been to two consecutive World Series. And they haven't, well, before last year, and they didn't win or didn't get in. They have to get over the hump. And especially with all of the young talent that they have, if there's a move to be made on August 31st, I think the Dodgers are the team that has to go all in. That's a great point about them having to get it done, because right now the narrative is spend a lot of money, choke when it counts. Yeah. And are you going to have Mookie Betts next year? And how long is Kershaw going to stay healthy? And is Walker Bueller going to be able to stay healthy? And I know you've got young talent, but you've also sent a lot of young guys out the door to to go get a guy like Mookie Betts and some of the moves that you've made to acquire players, pieces for playoff runs. So I absolutely think that that should be a franchise that is is all in, mostly because of the fact that And I'm going to throw the Yankees in here, too, because they haven't been to a World Series, haven't won a World Series since 2009. I think those two big-time franchises need to win. Do you think more teams will be inclined to move pieces than they were before? Yes, I I think people, we talked earlier about a seven-game winning streak, meaning you're in. A seven-game losing streak probably means you're out. Right. And if you're a team that doesn't have a ton of revenue, and especially if you have somebody that's going to come up on free agency, I, I think you do bail quickly and try to rebuild as quickly as you can. While a lot of people out there are projecting that the Cubs could really benefit from the 60-game season, if the Cubs go through a losing streak, and this is a franchise that is kind of retooling a lot of things about their team anyway, do you think that they are more inclined to say, hey, let's part from some of these guys and reshape this even further? If you have... Chris Bryant, in the midst of arbitration, two years away from free agency, and you have suffered biblical losses oh, biblical, financially. Yeah. Right, exactly. You have to consider moving him, right? Right. And I, if if I were another team, I don't know that knowing that he's a Boris guy and he's probably going to leave you after a couple of years, after one more year after this, I believe, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. Yeah, he'll be gone. Uh, because he didn't get the service time for 15. So he'll be gone after 21. You'll have him for one year after this. I wouldn't give up a ton for him. And that's why I think we might see more action than we might anticipate because if teams are out of it and they're saying, hey, we need to make a move, the asking price is going to be lower. Some other teams who may have coveted some of these players, it's going to be very enticing to say, wow, we have circled his name on our board for a long time and now you're telling me I can get him for what cost? It kind of reminds me of shopping right now. People have not been spending as much money in shopping and in retail spaces in America. And my friends and I were talking about how everything clothing-wise is on sale. Hmm. Everything is set 50% off, 70% off because they're trying to move merch 
merchandise. And a lot of our friends are like, well, we don't really have anywhere to go, so it's not the time to buy clothes. But it's very tempting because I've looked at that dress for a while, and I want to buy it, and it's and one day it's going to pay off, and I can get it for this price. Baseball's the same way. If you're looking at Nolan Arenado, and you thought his asking price was Jack Flaherty Plus, and then the Rockies are coming in and saying, hey, we're going we're gonna to give him to you at a major discount. Pennies here. on the dollar. Pennies on the dollar. If you're John Mosaic, even though you're typically risk-averse, that's very difficult to turn down. Yeah, it, it, it would be. And especially because I think, I'm pretty sure, the Cardinals have substantial interest in the player. I think it would be different for the Cardinals with Arenado, with the knowledge that you're going to have to pay him 30 to $35 million a year. And if the Cardinals, or Lindor, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. if the Cardinals get Arenado, they're going to get him with the caveat that the Rockies are paying a part of his salary. They they are not going to pay the $35 million a year that, that are in his contract right now. So I think those are two separate entities that mm-hmm. you'd be acquiring. But if you're a team that, for example, thinks you could do with Lindor what the Cardinals did with Goldschmidt, get him into your facility, get him, if you're the Mets and A-Rod is going to buy the franchise and he was... Uh, uh, he would have been a Hall of Fame shortstop, and Lindor probably adores A-Rod, right? And you're A-Rod, and you say, okay, I get him with in New York with that smile and the marketing ability, and it's me and J-Lo owning the team. If you're the Mets, why not go after a guy like Lindor? I I could see it, and if you're Lindor, that's very appealing to yeah. you. All now, that is very appealing. Yeah. One other note, by the way, about the Ken Rosenthal piece at The Athletic. He points out, and I hadn't really thought of this, that arbitration players are going to be affected by the 60-game season because arbitration players, they win and lose arbitration cases based on comps, on what other similar players have done previously. Well, Jack Flaherty has yet to have a great full season. And even after the 60-game season, he will not have had a great full season at the major league level. Now, last year was really good. Mm-hmm. And the second half was otherworldly. Right. That that made the season really good. So that comp is going to be good, but he'll be hurt by the fact that only 60 games are played as he heads into arbitration next spring. Which for a guy who's made it very clear that he doesn't want to take a discount and he is going to get every dollar that he feels as if he's earned, which he's earned, mm-hmm. that's going to be a difficult pill to swallow. And here's one comp as he and Bueller go on parallel paths. Uh, Rosenthal writes, the Dodgers figure to save on Walker Bueller, who with a big performance over 162 games, might have approached or exceeded Dallas Keuchel's $7.25 million record for first-time eligible starting pitchers. Virtually every club is in a similar position looking at savings, not just in 2021, but beyond because of this singular short season, which tells me if Jack Flaherty is affected by not having a season in, not having a full season in 2020, is he going to feel differently about perhaps not having a season in 2022? Maybe. I wonder how many players, mm-hmm. because because you know the owners yeah. will come down and say, hey, you aren't getting the service time. Yeah, yeah. We gave it to you a couple of years ago. You aren't getting the service time now. It'll be interesting to see if players kind of fear the idea of having to spend another year before arbitration or free agency. The ripple effects of what this season is going to be in 2020 are going to be pretty far-reaching. Yeah, and I'm interested to see. I can't wait until that week before. Well, I can because we're going to see games, and I have to wait anyway. Yeah. But I'm intrigued by 
that last week before the August 31st trade deadline. Yeah. It's going to be fun for us. We're going to hear a lot of hot gossip in the streets, Randy. A lot of hot gossip about trades and transactions. It'll be awesome. Next up, Michelle and Randy with today's big thing on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Opinions matter. Time now for today's big thing with Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Nine o'clock in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler with Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Carricker, and this is Carricker and Smallman, creative name for our show here on 101 ESPN. Michelle, we are a week away from the start of spring training. We still don't have the official Cardinals 2020 schedule, the new schedule. And I know the NFL gets good ratings when they reveal their schedule uh-huh. in April. I've probably never been more anxious about a schedule coming out than I am right now for the Cardinals schedule for 2020. Oh, I can't wait. And it's probably a confluence of factors. We've been missing baseball so much. It's going to be a completely different schedule than what we've ever been used to. And we know that every game is going to matter. So once we see how it lines up, we're going to be able to break it down and talk about their chances and look at certain games as tent poles throughout the season. It's going to be awesome. I wonder how many of the fan bases of the 30 major league teams are thinking, you know, we really have a shot this year. I think if you're a rational Tigers fan, you probably don't think so. But if if you're one of the other teams, I would have to think that you feel like, okay, well, if things fall our way, Mm -hmm. we have a chance. Even like the Kansas City fans who saw their team win only five years ago, I, I would think that there are fan bases out there where a lot of people for every single fan base are thinking our team has a chance in the 60 game season. And isn't that what's going to make this so great and so fun to watch? Because I don't think those fan bases are wrong. No. Baltimore, by the way, isn't going to win either. They're going to be bad. But we're only looking at a couple. At a handful of teams that are probably going to be out of it. So if you have a lot of teams that are in this for the majority of of this season, you're going to be talking about potential trades and potential transactions that could help teams if they're right on the cusp and they want to go all in throughout the season people are either going to get injured or we're going to potentially see teams test positive for covid and that's going to change the way that a team is in contention or not the way that teams react and deal with all of these limitations is going to affect teams in a positive or negative way and as we know with any postseason and this is essentially going to feel like the postseason some team just has to get really hot. Right. Momentum is going to be huge in this setup. And I think playing good, clean baseball is going to be a big part of it. That's why I don't dismiss a team like the Marlins, because Don Mattingly, if nothing else, gets his teams to play good, solid, fundamental baseball. And the way I look at baseball now, Michelle, is that you don't necessarily win games as much as you just allow the other team to lose them. Mm-hmm. If you play good, clean baseball and you don't mess up in the field and you don't get thrown out on the bases, like the Cardinals last year, really solid fundamentally, inevitably, most other teams in baseball are going to make a mistake to lose the game. And if managers do their job right and focus on that during training, then I think we'll see some teams that wind up surprising us. That's a championship mentality, Randy. Don't beat yourself. Only you can beat you. Yep. And 
that's uh, that was a hallmark that to me michelle that's the cardinal way when people talk about the cardinal way being arrogance and being about the fan base no the cardinal way is a product of the book that george kissel wrote about playing uh, pitching defense good solid fundamental baseball being aggressive running the bases properly that's what the cardinal way is and that's something that they've done since the 1930s since the gas house gang and if they continue to do that, and, and we had a lull, there's no doubt, we had a lull for a few years here, but it bounced back last year. And if Mike Schilt is able to get the team to do what they did last year fundamentally, they'll be, if not dominant, then at least in the hunt. Randy, when did the Cardinal way get hijacked into something that was a negative connotation and something that was mocked by other fan bases? Because it seems like for a very long time, it was the standard that was set by the Cardinals that other teams tried to emulate. And then all of a sudden, it becomes something that's used in air quotes and used as a kind of a throwaway negative mm. comment about the Cardinals. When did that shift? That was when Deadspin was a thing. Oh, I forgot about Deadspin. Yeah, a lot of people. Well, it's not hard to forget about. Uh uh, because Will Leach was such a Cardinal fan yeah. and the, the anti-Will Leach faction there started talking about it and, and denigrating it without having any idea what the Cardinal way is. And it's kind of gone back now, I think. People got tired of seeing the Cardinals, too. Think about that. In the early part of the 2000s, if you have a team that's in the NLCS five out of seven years and they're in the World Series two out of those years and they're in the playoffs all except one of those years, it probably gets, from an outsider's point of view, a little bit boring and a little bit bothersome that your team can't do what the Cardinals were doing. Sure, but as the great Brad Thompson says, if you don't like it, play better. That's right. But those guys, those people's teams didn't play better. They were fans of the Mets or, you know, fans of uh, teams that didn't have the chance to win that the Cardinals had every year. But then get mad at your team and the way that's, that they're approaching no. things and not at the Cardinals, but right? Am I right? We're, that, that's social media, though. Social media has yeah. changed things. Social media really has. Yeah, so you, you, you get mad at the dominant team rather than your team that can't dominate. But I understand that notion probably more so than ever than when I got fatigued from Warriors-Cavs. I thought if I'm mm-hmm. if I'm over this matchup, which is a great matchup, you have every yep. possible uh, factor that you would want the, the the star power. You have the style of play. You have the storylines. If I'm fatigued by that, of course people are going to get fatigued by seeing the Cardinals. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And at least with those teams, you you had that star power. The Cardinals, as you call it, have devil magic. And I think people always thought that the Cardinals did it with smoke and mirrors but it it really wasn't it was because they played well i'm still flabbergasted that in game six 2011 we don't even need to say 2011 just game six Mm -hmm. you start the 10th inning with jay and descalso in the pitcher spot and no bench players left and you still wind up scoring two runs it's devil magic. Devil magic. And when you think about that run, too, of all the things that happened before, when we rewatched that game, I had completely forgotten about the bullpen phone situation mm-hmm. that happened before that. For all of these things that have, had gone wrong prior to that game and even during that game with the ball hitting freeze on the top of the head, and except you could go on and on, for them to find a way still, as, as Joe Buck said, they just wouldn't well, go away. They were remarkable, and that's that's something that we need to get back, and I think we will under Mike Schilt. And the the fact that arguably 
in the ownership of Bill DeWitt, the, the chairmanship of Bill DeWitt. But if we just go back to the 20 years from 2000 to 2019, I would argue that the two worst Cardinal playoff teams were in 2006 and 2011. And they were the two that wound up winning the World Series. And that's why the Cardinals believe in the randomness of the postseason. And now, to swing this forward, I believe that in this season, this, these 60 games, what we're talking about, it's the randomness of the season, yeah. not just the postseason. This might be, the it's, it's got to be the most random baseball season we'll ever see. Which is why so many teams feel like they have a chance. Right. And that'll be a good thing. The only bad thing about it is, is that you won't have fans in the stands. Normally, you expand playoffs because you think you can get more people in the seats in September. Now we're going to have, perhaps, these wild races, but nobody in the stands to see them. Well, we might. Well, the, the way things are going, Jim Crane would like to do it. The Cubs would like to do it. Yeah. I'm sure the Rangers would like to do it. And... Multiple other states will allow larger gatherings, and if there is social distancing, we may see fans in the stands. Would you be surprised if we did here in St. Louis, even if it were 5,000 people, 10,000 people in the 40,000-seat stadium, would you be surprised if we saw fans at Bush Stadium? If. That's tough. Because I want to say I'd be surprised if, if any organization actually goes through with it and allows it. But I think if you're seeing other franchises say, hey, we're going to have fans in the stands, I could definitely see the Cardinals find, finding a way to get it done here. We are in July. So we're two months away from getting fans. Figure you want to get fans in the stands for September and October. With the way things look right now, I just don't see a scenario in which you could get fans safely into your ballpark and keep all of your personnel safe in September, October? I don't either. And I also think it's kind of hypocritical to make the players go through all of these protocols and then invite fans who are not probably following those same protocols into their environment. But it seems like baseball has pretty much shown us who they are And it's that they're greedy and that they care about the money and that the safety aspect of this, while important, has definitely taken a backseat to the almighty dollar. And especially if you listen to the the blatant quotes of the Astros owner, Jim Crane, it sure does seem as if what Michelle is saying is being borne out by what he's saying. He, He says... Uh, the only way we're going to make up the money that we have lost by not having fans in the sands and by not having for each team 50 home games is to get people in the stands buying our tickets, buying cold beer, and buying our concessions this year. So his goal, Jim Crane's goal, is regardless of what the medical situation is outside of the ballpark, to get people from Houston inside the ballpark. You would think that... Houston, of all places, would be pumped not to have fans in the stands so no one could boo them. Even in Houston, you know that people would find a way to get in there and boo them. Their fans are not going to boo that team. Their fans will cheer. They, their fans are in total denial about that situation. Oh, of course. But if if you're in Texas and you want to go to a baseball game and you're still angry about what happened with the Astros, or if you're a fan of another team and you know fans are allowed, I'm going. I'm buying a ticket so I can boo them. But... It, will you boo so loud that you drown out the sound of the banging on the trash can? Probably not. Not likely. <laughs> so, 
We'll see. Yeah, we, we, can we get that loud? Or is it still going to be effective? No, they've moved on to buzzers. I was going to say, they, technology has advanced. Yeah. So we're looking forward to the schedule and whether or not we have fans, we don't know. But we're all going to be watching Dan McLaughlin on TV here in St. Louis. Can't wait for that. It's going to be great. Danny Mack, by the way, coming up in the 10 o'clock hour here on 101 ESPN. But next up for you, you're killing me, Smalls. It's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. What's totally killing Smalls right now? You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls, with Michelle Smallman on 101 ESPN. All right, we are ready for You're Killing Me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls. Randy, we know that Seattle is building a new arena downtown. It's going to host their NHL team and their WNBA team, the Seattle Storm. Amazon has secured the naming rights to the stadium, but it's not going to be Amazon Arena. They're going to call it Climate Pledge Arena. And Jeff Bezos said, we've secured the naming rights to the historic arena, previously known as Key Arena. Instead of naming it after Amazon, we're calling it Climate Pledge Arena as a regular reminder of the importance of fighting climate change. Okay, I wonder if people will get it or if they'll think that Climate Pledge is a company. People that aren't aware that Amazon bought the bought the naming rights. If I were them and I were concerned about the environment, I don't know if I would go Climate Pledge as much as I would go Save the Planet Arena or something like mm-hmm. that. Amazon doesn't need to put their name on it, clearly, because Amazon already runs the world, right? Sure. They don't need to advertise, even though they are advertising all over TV right now. But I think they could have done better than Climate Pledge Arena. That's just my opinion. Save the World Arena has a nice ring to it. Thank you. Yeah, or Save the Planet Arena. Save the Planet. Um, well, they're actually taking this Save the World approach into the implementation of certain practices within the arena. It's going to be the first arena to ban single-use plastics, and they're going to have functional zero waste. It's going to have rink ice that's made from rainwater, refrigerants with zero greenhouse gas emissions, and electric Zambonis. It's going to be the lowest embodied carbon arena in the world, and it's going to have locally sourced food, beer, and wine. I like all of that. I would hope, though, well, I guess the blues, if they were going to do something like that, could you still do your blues nachos in a biodegradable container? Of and course. They, they put them in a plastic container now that I think yeah. probably wind up in a in a dump somewhere. Uh, so I, I'm cool with all of that. I don't care about the vessel the nachos come in. If it's biodegradable, it's great. Nachos. It's all about what's inside. Yeah. I'm not a big fan of paper cups, by the way. Single-use plastic cups are probably not great for the world either. I, I wish there were a better way to deliver, once again, a, a vessel for a drink than something that is not earth-friendly, but is also not paper. I know. I wonder how many other franchises, after seeing what they're going to do in Seattle, will watch and see how it plays out and monetarily what the difference is. And if they say, hey, it only costs them this much money and it's it's really helping the environment and it's a good look for us to have, mm-hmm. we're going to start implementing things themselves. I, I know that you are really big. In fact, we have a, a recycling bin here in the studio, and the only person that takes the recycling bin down to our big recycling bin down the hall is Michelle Smallman. When we were in Arizona, Patrick and I, 
obviously we go to the grocery store. We were staying at a, uh, a VRBO, a vacation rental nice. condo. And so we went and bought a bunch of Propel and plastic bottles and stuff. And we both hated the idea of throwing away the bottles. We had to find a recycling place. So we wound up going to a Starbucks so that we could recycle all the plastic bottles we had. So I love the idea of having an arena and having a community that wants to recycle and well, again, save the planet. Proud of you for doing that, Randy. And yeah, and mo- the more that we have big organizations like Amazon making it a priority and yeah. making it easy for people to do, because I think that's one of the things that is an, uh, a roadblock for a lot of people is they're like, I don't I have to pay for this or I don't know exactly what I can put in the recycling bin. And to have a company take the hard work out of it to so where you just show up at the game and it's all handled. It's great. It's great. You're killing me, Smalls. So, Randy, Kevin Durant did an interview on Dog Talk, and we know that he is recovering from that Achilles. Is the dog the interviewer? <laughs> no. If, <laughs> if, a, if a dog was going to do an interview, who do you think would be the best, what sort of breed would be the best dog to conduct an interview? I think if, um, if it were going to be like a Stephen A. type interview, probably like a German Shepherd or a Roddy. Or a Doberman Pinscher. But if it were going to be like a Randy or Michelle interview, it would be like a Golden Retriever. Golden Retrievers would be very friendly mm-hmm. and happy. But would a Golden Retriever really ask the tough questions? No, they're, they're fun and happy. It would be that Bush's Baked Beans dog that would be doing the interview that really does talk. I think a Great Dane would be a great option. Oh, that would be fun. Because they're so chill and even keel that even if they asked the tough question, it would come off in a way that you would think it was just a nice question. You're right. And you would think that the Great Dane would have a, a deep voice too, right? Oh, for sure. Great radio voice yeah. on the Great Dane. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, anyway, Kevin Durant was on the Dog Talk podcast, and we know that he's recovering from that Achilles injury that he suffered last year. And they talked about uh, the bubble situation in Orlando with Durant, and he says that even if he was available to play, he wouldn't have gone to Orlando. He said, quote, I feel me right now, I probably wouldn't have played because the unknown going into that situation looks crazy right now. Seeing so many new cases, it's just so unpredictable. It's easy for me to say right now because I'm injured, but I probably wouldn't have went down there. Those people that questioned his competitiveness when he went from Oklahoma City to Golden State now have another weapon in their arsenal. How competitive after he says something like that with all the other guys where LeBron said, I'm playing. Mm-hmm. With all with all the other people that are going down there and are playing, does that quest make you question his competitiveness anymore? It does me. Does it really? Yep. It doesn't for me just because this pandemic is still for a lot of people a very scary thing. And I understand if you're a player and you're going into this environment, why you would have reservations and why you would have to have serious conversations with the people around you about the risks and the rewards of doing this. So this situation, I will isolate and say, no, that doesn't make me question his competitiveness because of all of those factors. To me, I don't even need another log on that fire. The, the, what, mm-hmm. what he did by joining the Warriors, we, we know you what you wanted to do. We got it. I'm just thinking about the position that those players... Let me 
draw an analogy here. I remember texting Joe Buck during the 2001 World Series at Yankee Stadium. I said, how scared are you? He said, I am in the safest place on earth right now. The, the way the Yankee Stadium was protected against terrorism, uh-huh. I'm not scared at all. Wow. If, in terms of dealing with the pandemic, NBA players are going to be in the safest place they can possibly be. Kevin Durant is going to be a hell of a lot more vulnerable walking the streets of Southern California or going to a grocery store in Southern California where he lives or in Brooklyn than he is being in a bubble in Orlando. But do you think he's walking around going to a grocery store anyway? No, probably having stuff delivered. But still, yeah. I would ra- I would rather have people delivered deliver that are employed by the NBA to keep me safe than delivered by the Whole Foods in down the street in whatever Brentwood, California. Who are getting their temperatures checked and yeah. are being vetted essentially before they enter. Right. Do you hear hearing Kevin Durant say that? Do you wonder if we're not going to see more NBA stars stars opt out of the bubble when it comes time? I don't think we will. I, I think the big guys, and Curry's not going to be there either. The, the Warriors guys aren't going to be there. How many, how many stars are there really left to be in this? You've got, I mean, mega stars because Durant is a mega star. Curry's a mega star. LeBron's a mega star. Uh, is anybody in the East the, the, right now? Can you count Simmons or Embiid as one of those guys or Tatum? I would count Tatum. Giannis. 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 Tatum. I think Embiid certainly carries star power. Yep. And I would be surprised, by the way, if any of those guys opted out. But I don't think we can put them at that level. To That's just my opinion yet. But even they're superstars, though, just not mega stars. They're not the guys that everybody knows their face. But I, I still, I don't see those guys opting out. I, th- I think Kawhi, will, I would be surprised if Kawhi or George would opt out. I just don't think we'll have that happen. You're killing me, Small! Randy, I have a, an interesting Tom Brady story for you. Love him. You, you love- I love Tom Brady stories. Oh, okay. I was like... I'm sorry, what? No. <laughs> Let's revisit that. Did you have a field day, by the way, with Tampa Brady? Yeah. How lame was that? It's, come on. Tampa Brady? Give me a break. That's the best you could do? Anyway. Yeah. So, for two days this week, Tom Brady has been seen practicing with his Bucks teammates in Florida. Those two days, he's posted about it on Instagram. The most recent one says no excuses. Now, this comes after the NFLPA recommended that players stop private group workouts. And Tom Brady's posting it on social media that they're doing this. He's not the only one. Mm -hmm. Other quarterbacks are. But I was reading an article, Randy, on For the Win that says the NFL needs to make an example out of Tom Brady. They need to say, you're going against what the NFLPA is suggesting here. You're posting it on social media. You're saying no excuses, indicating that you're going to work out regardless of what they tell you is safe to do. We should make an example out of Tom Brady. Randy, your thoughts? Roger Goodell has already made an example out of Tom Brady and won the battle but lost the war. I don't think that Goodell at this stage can afford to go into battle again with Tom Brady. It's just a bad look from a PR standpoint for Goodell. And Tom Brady's going to say, hey, he's going to do two things. We are getting together on our own here and... I'm just trying to win. I'm trying to help my team win. And 
he can say, you, you don't want me to help my team win? I think Brady wins this one against Goodell, and I don't think there is a way that, especially with other teams doing it, that you can just punish Tom Brady. You'd have to pus- punish Russell Wilson. Yep. You'd have to punish the Gronk and the other members. Yeah, Tyler Murray is yep, in exactly. I also think if you're Tom Brady and the NFL comes at you something like this, you look at them and say, you need me more than ever. Yep. You need me to entertain America. The storyline of me leaving New England, bringing back Gronk, and going to win without Belichick is the best storyline you have going. So you need me to be practicing. You need me to be at my the peak of my game so that I can deliver the ratings and the money for you. Yeah. The NFL is pretty disingenuous in thinking that many, many players are not going to be ultra competitive. And especially when you get that guy and he's got something to prove. He's on another blank U tour, right? For the Patriots and Belichick. He he was in 2007. He was after he got suspended by Goodell. He's on another one right now. And they aren't going to stop him. He loves... He's got the Michael Jordan type chip, right? Mm -hmm. He, He loves having that chip on his shoulder. Thank you, Michelle. Great stuff. It was uh, fun to pound on people. And and by the way, I, I, I was never one. When you talk about Durant going to Golden State, I never begrudged him going there because it's like Chris Long told us about going to New England. It was a business deal. It was totally transactional. It was so that he could get the championship. He was chasing a ring. So I didn't have a problem with Durant doing that. But this... I just think gives ammunition to those people who do think that he really wasn't competitive and just wanted to go to a place where he could follow rather than lead. See, the NBA is so different as far as approach and mentality, especially after I watched The Last Dance. Those guys didn't want to join Jordan. They wanted to beat Jordan. They wanted to do it on their own. And to see a star say, I can't do it without these guys, mm-hmm. so I'm I'm not going to be the guy. I'm going to be a guy was very shocking. Yeah. And I wonder if it was, I can't do it with without these guys, or if he was saying to himself, I can't do it with Russell Westbrook as my wingman. That's also a good point. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. This is Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Jeremy Rutherford has a great piece up at The Athletic about Blues defenseman Justin Falk. And we'll give you a glimpse into that piece next as JR joins us, our Blues insider on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. It's Friday, June 26th with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. And one thing that has occurred, and it's actually become a trend during the course of this show, Jeremy Rutherford joins us on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. We want to ask our hockey guests if they've ever been to the Missouri Botanical Gardens, Jr. So uh, Joey Vitale went for the first time, his 10-year wedding anniversary, and he and his wife went there. Have you ever been to the Missouri Botanical Gardens? I, I believe I have, uh, but I will tell you that it was years and years and years ago. So it's been a long time. As long as you've been there, that's okay. Now, the other thing that we we gleaned from Joey today is that on the 10th anniversary, the traditional gift for the wife is tin or aluminum. And he says, diamonds in year one, diamonds in year two, diamonds in year three. He says, never lay off the diamonds. That's the gift for every year. 
he played in the league. He played in the league, but <laughs> but uh, he is inspiring, Joey. Uh, he's got me inspired. He told you guys a couple weeks ago that he woke up and ran a half marathon. Yeah. And so I got I got up today and did a half. A half of ha- half hour on the treadmill. I'm proud of you. Yeah, about that. So you are talking to somebody, and it's not me that cannot work out at all and run a half marathon. She's <laughs> she can literally just it's like the the hitter that can get out of bed on Christmas morning and hit. Michelle can get out of bed and run a half marathon. It's amazing. I've talked to her about that. I like the fact that you guys didn't buy that for one second. <laughs> I did, Jr., but I was waiting because I thought then if you actually did that, you were going to talk about how miserable it is. Because as someone that has run a half marathon or two, they're not. It's not a fun thing to do. No, that's why when I was listening to Joey talk about it a couple weeks ago, I thought he was joking because he sounded so fresh and so good. I was like, I thought, you know, he'd be miserable. But, uh, hey, good for you guys who can pull that stuff off. Absolutely. Well, Jerry, you have a great new piece up at The Athletic about Justin Falk and his first season with the Blues. And he was really candid in the piece. Even in the headline, it says, quote, I didn't play that well. Can you expand on that and let us know what Justin Falk revealed about his first season with the team? Yeah, and just a little context here. Even though you've been, you know, covering the team for 15 or 16 years, you know, guys come and go, and and so you don't have a relationship with them. And, you know, last year being uh, Justin Falk's first year, and then the the season kind of gets wiped out there for a few months, just never a chance to to talk to Justin. So when I spoke with him yesterday, I said, hey, let's just have a casual conversation, you know, no agenda here, just seeing how you're doing and, you know, how you felt you played last year. And uh, I felt like he was – really open, as you said, in the article saying I I didn't play very well. And, you know, I thought one of the key parts was he said, look, I'm a sports fan, too. I'm a Minnesota native, follow the Vikings, follow the Twins, I follow all the moves that they make. And I know what I signed up for here in St. Louis, that, you know, a lot of money and high expectations, and I didn't live up to him early on in the season. But he did feel like that he gained some traction uh, towards the end. And then the league uh, paused the season. So he's looking forward to getting going again. It's amazing how people can take veiled shots at Kirk Cousins. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> so great. do you have confidence that he can be what we thought he was going to be when the Blues acquired him? Well, I think one thing, when I hung up with him yesterday, he said, look, I'm coming in, you know, in a couple weeks and, and I'm just more comfortable. We got the house set up. Uh, you know, I know the guys, you know, do I have a defined role? No, but I kind of know what they're looking for. So I think just that is going to give him a little more stability uh, coming in. But I do agree uh, that he needs to find a place in this lineup where he's not bouncing around. And so you talk about playing with seven different defensive partners the first two months of last season. You know, in Carolina two years ago, he had two partners the entire year, you know, more than 40 minutes uh, of ice time. So uh, he wants that stability. I, I think that uh, when he plays on the left, he's grown a little more comfortable, but I, I still don't think uh, that's, a, that's a home for him. And then, you know, if you're playing first pair one night, third pair the next night, it's just different than what he's used to. Bottom line, he's got to be better, but I think he feels like uh, coming back in this time, it's going to be a little bit easier. The stability certainly will help JR. And while he says he knew what the expectations would be in a town like St. Louis, I wonder if he really realized what it would be like once he got in that locker room and he was the new kid in town. And there was this group of guys that had gone on the most unbelievable ride of their lives. And that bonds you together forever. And this is a team that has great chemistry. And even though I'm sure they were welcoming to him, it's got to be a difficult thing to adjust to when you're when you're that guy that hasn't been on that ride with them. 
It's a great, great point, and he downplayed it. I know why he downplayed it. He's got this personality, just from what I can gather early on here, is he just likes to be in the background. He doesn't like to be in the spotlight. So he said it wasn't very difficult for him to kind of step to the side and let these guys you know, have the spotlight with uh, the Stanley Cup. But imagine every time you show up, you know, there's a ceremony this night. There's another ceremony. Now the guys are posing with a cup. And here you're trying to find your role on the ice. That's hard. That's one thing. But now every time uh, they have one of these celebrations, you're kind of taking a step back, too. So to me, it's hard to, to get your personality going and, and show the guys who you are. You know, they like them. That's not a question whatsoever. I just feel like he had a couple things uh, that were challenges for him trying to get ingratiated with a new team. And I think it's interesting, JR, because we, from the time this trade was made, looked at it as a preemptive move with the thought that Alex Petrangelo, Petrangelo might leave. And I think this quote stuck out to me. It was, if you ask any player, that's just kind of our nature to say, the more you're in those situations, big situations, the more in tune you are and the better you're going to play. You know that was my role previously. Power play, penalty kill, five on five, whatever. It didn't matter. He talked about minutes and big minutes making him a a better player. I wonder if the Blues don't keep Petro, if that will make him better because he's getting more big reps. There's absolutely no doubt that when Doug Armstrong made the deal, he was entering a negotiation with Newport Sports, the Translos agency, and if things didn't work out, he was going to have a three-time all-star to fall back on. There's no question that that entered his mind when he was doing that. Is Justin Falk Alex Petrangelo? You know, I don't don't think he is, and, and obviously he's gotten off to a tough start here in St. Louis. But even if you pull Alex Petrangelo out of the equation and make Justin Falk a number one, a number 1A, I just don't know that he can be that type of player. But that said, yeah, when you're playing 23 minutes a night in Carolina, he was playing 245 a night on the power play. You know, now you're down to, what, 20 uh, overall ice time and a buck 05 on the power play. You're not getting those opportunities. And like I touched on with him in the article, you know, points are points. You don't sit there and stare at your stats. But if you're not getting the points, it's hard to build some confidence. And he says that in the article as well. So, you know, could he be a better player if he were playing that role instead of Alex Petrangelo? Yeah, perhaps more in tune. Uh, but I think we can all look at it and know that he's not Alex Petrangelo. JR, we all got really excited when we saw the videos of Vladimir Tarasenko back out on the ice. We can't wait to see him back in action. But then I said to myself, should I not set the expectations for him so high? Should, what should the expectations for Vladimir Tarasenko be? Or should there even be expectations for him when he returns? Yeah, good question. It's tough with Alex, uh, I'm sorry, Vladimir Tarasenko, just because he's been out so long. I mean, you look at some of these players who have been out three to four months. We have questions about them. And Vladimir Tarasenko hasn't played since uh, early October. So uh, it is nice to see him on the ice. I just got to be honest with you. I don't know what to expect. I mean, he says that he feels great. The team says the shoulder's fine. Greg Berube said a couple weeks ago that uh, he's in better shape now than he was when he came to training camp last September. So that bodes well, too. Uh, But I just think we're in a situation where it's hard to tell what you're going to get from these guys, especially a guy uh, who's been out that long. JR, we always love hearing your voice. Thanks so much. Have a great weekend. You guys, too. Thanks a lot. See you later. That is our friend Jeremy Rutherford. He is our Blues Insider from The Athletic. And that Justin Falk piece available now at The Athletic. And it's a great subscription. If you want the best sports news now, then go to The Athletic. It's a huge resource for us here in Car- with uh, Carriker and Smallman. And uh, JR is, and Mark Saxon are just two of the great people that they have working for him. 
The Athletic is like Netflix. There's so much great content, but not enough time to consume it. Yeah, exactly. That's right. Coming up next, Dan McLaughlin is going to be in for the crossover as we head towards Scoops with Danny Mac on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Scoops with Danny Mac coming up here at the top of the hour here on 101 ESPN. And Danny will join us for the crossover in just a moment. We did get some ideas for interviewers that would be dog breeds. Oh. Uh, from the I text line 65780. From the 309, Adam Schefter would be a schnauzer. Okay. Uh, Damian Woody would be a, a bull mastiff. Great comp. Uh, how about a, uh, an Australian shepherd, a herding dog, being an interviewer? I'm trying to, in my mind, I need to Google what an Australian Shepherd looks like so that I can okay. give an accurate. Yeah. Black and white, I think, and uh, just runs a lot and good at agility. Now, I don't. Beautiful dog. I Beautiful. don't necessarily agree with this one. Uh, from the 309, Brian Windhorst as a pug. I could see it. Uh, I don't know if Brian Windhorst is a pug, though. I'm not going to push back on that one. Hmm. Pugs are great. Yeah, they're, they're great. I just don't know if that's his. I think he'd be just a little bit bigger than a pug. That's all I'm saying. Danny Mac is here. Scoops with Danny Mac. I need up. to apologize. Why? I was here. I got caught into a conversation with BK, and then I looked down, and it was 9.46. I said, I got to go. I'm always, I try to be responsible. I try to be on time. Now, if BK is listening and Rivs is listening, they are not responsible on the crossover. They leave me hanging all the time. I try not to leave you guys hanging, so that's on me. I apologize. I hope you accept it. Well, I appreciate you taking responsibility, but it is BK's fault. No, it's not. This is on me. Okay. No, I'm not going to put it on his shoulders. This is on me. How you guys doing? We're doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It's a Friday. We're ready to roll. Um, I got Jim Thomas on the show. Jimmy T. I have not had the chance to visit with Jim Thomas in a long time. He was awesome to me when I was so young and green in this thing. And Randy would send me to Macomb and say, "Get me some sound, you know, give me some Rams report." He would turn me loose. Jim uh, would help me out, but Randy said, "Just go get them." And I would come up with really bad reports, and Randy would tell me, "Great job." So, thanks, Randy. Hey, one time. I uh, was returning from Macomb, and it's a, you take a two-lane highway, 67, right? Right. Up to Macomb, it's three hours. I would always get lost. Well, one how, night... How, I don't know, but I'm terrible with directions. I did, too. One night, as I was driving back to do an open line that started at after a Cardinal game, and I was thinking, okay, well, this game will probably last two and a half hours, so I'll leave uh, three hours be nice? before. Yeah, th- those were the days. Oh, man. And I said, okay... <laughs> So I'll, I'll get on the road, and I figured the game would end. I think it was a 7 o'clock start. I figured the game would end at 9.30, and I'd be on the air at 9.30. So I got on the road at 6.30, thinking, okay, no problem at all. And I don't remember who was pitching, but we had one of those two tens. Oh, and, man. And so I'm doing the open line on my phone from Alton, Illinois. Yeah. <laughs> I did that on a Sunday night because you guys, you and Mike Kelly, even though I think the station was very skittish at the time of giving – Old Danny Mac, a little open line time. I was 20 and 21 or something like that. And, it, you know, station like, really? You guys are going to let him on the air? Oh, yeah, he's ready for it. Because I think you guys are like, we don't want to do it. So give it to him. <laughs> um, and one of those things happened with me. And so 
Bob Hamilton was like trying to host open. Let's go to Sarah in West <laughs> County. Uh, Bob, what do you think about the uh, left guard of the? Uh, he's a big man, and uh, he'll be able to block his way into the secondary. You know, he was like doing one of those things. You know, it was uh, it was it was interesting on that open yeah. line for sure. And this was uh, late nineties. So here's how <laughs> things have changed now: is there's an app that you can get on your phone. And you can just put your headphones in with a microphone and have studio quality. Yep. I could do oh, a yeah. show from St. Louis to Macomb and back that would be studio quality, and you'd never know that I wasn't in the studio. Never know the difference. It's unbelievable. Brad, I think last year we were in Pittsburgh was doing the fast lane that that way. He was doing some recorded spots in the booth, and uh, I was giving him trouble. I didn't even realize he was on the air and uh, I was just making fun, and he was like, "Come on, just be quiet. I'm on here." I said, "Shut up! You're not, I'm on the air." And I was like, I, did, "I thought he was talking to his kids, which he might have been. He was talking mm-hmm. to you and you know, talking Raj. to kids. Yeah. yeah, he was talking to the same level of person. Yeah, so maturity whatever. and intelligence, yeah. exactly. So anyway, um, yeah, you can do those things now, which is just." Incredible. It really is. There's also an app, though, that has directions and that would tell you the route yes, to take so you true. wouldn't get lost. I, yeah. I don't know how I ever got around. I wonder now, like, how did I do this? Me too. For real. Did you have a map that you would keep yes. in your car? Mm-hmm. In my glove box. Wow. I have never really had to deal with that. My parents, both independently, my mom was from New Jersey, my dad was from Belleville, Illinois. They moved out to California. That's where they met with their respective group of friends. And I always think about my mom and her girlfriends packing up their cars and driving from New Jersey to California without directions. Michelle, a very um, heartfelt, warm present that I got one time for a birthday Probably I was 22, 23 years old and I was doing the blues and I just started was a calling card. Seriously, a calling Mm -hmm. card. So when you were at the hotel and I didn't have a cell phone, you could hit the nine on the hotel and then you had, you know, X amount of minutes to call home. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was a big deal. Yeah. That was a really big deal. I I didn't have to pay for, you know, X amount of minutes. Now, you paid, I think, something on the hotel to get out on the line. But to have a calling card was a, like, to me, that was saving a lot of money. <clears throat> I was excited. I was like, I got a calling card. This is, <laughs> my my mom really cares about me. I got a calling card yeah. for 200 minutes. I think the AAA trip tick has become obsolete. But you used to be able to just go to AAA and they would, if you, I was going to drive down to St. Petersburg for spring training, they would map out with highlighter uh, a page-by-page map so that, that I would have no trouble. And obviously that would be obsolete now. But yeah, you had to, either you had to guess real well or use a map. And Danny and I, Dan a lot more than me, would do football games in mid-Missouri. I was the oh, voice man. of the Van Far Indians. Right on the border of Vandalia and Farber, Missouri. So I was the voice of the Van Far Indians. And man, the first few times I drove out there, I can't imagine how I got there or got back you want to talk about panic is you know you have to find that one highway sign okay and trying to find either the street sign or the highway sign and you're like i know it's here and you've been driving five minutes but literally you are at least 
30 minutes away from it. So mm-hmm. you, every sign you slow up and then you fast yep. and then you slow. Uh, no, that's not it. Okay. Oh my God. Did I, did I pass it? Yeah, I passed it. Okay. So I need to turn back. Oh no, it's not there. Okay. Turn back around. I mean, you just keep going back and forth, back and forth. So when I started in the business, I, I literally would call a game on a Friday night and then I would sleep in my car because I'd be worried about it was just such a long distance. I would sleep in my car that night so I could work for free the next morning and do the highlights of the games <laughs> for the high school recap in Washington, Missouri. Yeah, it was it was fun. I mean, that was how I did it. The moral of the story is that none of us will ever use a map ever again. No, thank goodness. I don't even think I could figure it out. Well, that's the the moral of the story is, too. I didn't really figure it out back then. <laughs> right. Seriously, I, I mean, I had it there, and I would kind of look at it, and I was like... I, Think I passed that? I'm not sure if I did, but Mm -hmm. I was terrible with maps then. It was awful. uh, One time out in San Francisco, I asked Jack Buck where to go eat. He said, go to Adolph's on Vallejo. And there's (laughs) Vallejo in San Francisco is like Fifi here. There's like five different iterations of it. And so uh, that was in, uh, I shouldn't say it was in my blackout rage days because I would still get it if the same thing happened today. (laughs) But my... uh, Big tolerance. Yeah. My bride was my navigator, and we couldn't find the right portion of Vallejo that Adolph's restaurant was on. And I remember it was Monday night because I was listening to Monday night football and getting hotter and hotter and hotter and hotter. And finally, you know, getting the steering wheel punching hot because yeah. we couldn't find it. Finally, we did, probably like at halftime of the game. Hey, we, we haven't talked about it. Did you guys watch the, uh, the Jack Buck special? I didn't get a I, chance I, I, I saw know, some of it on social media. I yeah. did not. You didn't? No. How come? You're like the biggest Jack Buck fan ever. I am. I I saw the I, I watched the Aussie game during the day. I did too. And I think I might have it on a DVR, but I haven't watched it yet. I'll tell you what. Um, to me, the quintessential Jack Buck. I don't know if you agree with it because I know you lived it. You were in the booth, and I was too. Mm-hmm. I mean, for yeah. some of that, and and you grew up listening to it too, but. Mm-hmm. The quintessential Jack Buck game to me is the Aussie game, the whole game, not just the yeah. call, like the the entire game. Um, I always, for young fans or young broadcasters, I always say, listen to that game. Don't listen just to the call, but listen to the game. And I, I got goosebumps thinking about this, too. If you want to listen to the beauty of a broadcaster, too, and learn how to do it, Listen to the Gibson on television. Listen to Vin Scully, the inning leading up to the Gibson home run. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just, it's it's beautiful. It's it's just perfect how he leads into the entire Gibson home run. It's, it's incredible. Now, the call is incredible. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. Everything leading up, the, the seven to ten minutes leading up, is perfect. It's, yeah. You can't do it any better. There is no way you could do it any better. It's and, unbelievable. The the thing that Jack did, and you do a really good job of this, but it's different on television than it was on radio. But Jack consistently told the story of the game, and one thing that happened—that's what I mean—throughout the Aussie game is whether it was in the fifth or the sixth or the seventh, we always knew that they were playing with fire because of all the runners that they'd left on. That's early. right. That's right. And you even tell in, the story, yeah. yeah. And, and even when we got to that ninth inning, and by the way. The first thing he said was, Ozzie Smith is not a power hitter from the left side. That's right. First thing when Ozzie got to the plate. but uh, Or you wouldn't expect him to hit a home run from the left side. I That's think what he exactly said. what yeah. he said. And uh, the, the fact that that story of the game allowed him to, to build the... 
the tension, the storyline of what yep. might happen. Yeah, uh, it was. It was perfectly done. I, I think that's kind of what could happen this year, early on in these games, because um, every game, and I hope we get there, man. But every game is going to be drama, potentially, because if you think about it, you have to manage every game as if it's your last. We talked about it earlier. It's like the Blues down the stretch last year. Every game is a playoff game. It is, and I think you're going to see really quick hooks. I think you're going to see... um I just think if a guy doesn't look good early on, you just you just pull him. Doesn't matter who it is. No. I, you should have plenty of arms, especially with... How many guys do you start with on the, the first... 30. Yeah. I've got the Cardinals with 17 pitchers. At least, right? And then um, and then what does it go to? It goes 30, 28, 28 26. To, yeah. After two weeks, you get 26. Is that what it is? Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be fun. I, man, I just hope it works. I think we're going to hear about a lot of positive tests when guys report, mm-hmm. and then we get into it, and it becomes routine. I just hope they don't get the players, once we start getting into a routine, that it doesn't get lax. That's my biggest concern once we get going. Um, but, you know, it's two months. Make it happen. they got plenty of players to choose from, and let's play ball. And Mo said when you leave your hotel room as a player and you're out on the road so you know, Leave smart. And it's only two months. I think that's what you need to reinforce to the players. This is going to go really fast. And you should be well-rested for the next day anyway. If you're going to go out of your hotel room on the road, leave smart. What are you most excited about for the season, both of you guys? Just just playing or, or what? For me, because of the sprint, because of the intensity from day one, I'm really excited. You talked about it the other day. Day two is kind of, oh, for a 162-game season, day two oh, is um, kind of, eh. But... Man, day two is going to be as big as day one, and day yeah. three is going to be as big to day two. I'm excited about the intensity. The Cardinals already have so many great storylines, too, heading into 2020, and you compound that with the intensity. It's going to be so fun to watch. Could you imagine, I guess they're going to play three exhibition games. I don't know if those are going to be televised or what we're doing. Um, <laughs> can you imagine what that's going to be like if they put that game on TV? Oh, it's going to be crazy. And and that everything's gone to plan and that you have a chance to, to watch it. I, I just, the buzz, the anticipation, I get goosebumps right now. Thing, like what well, the city, what the community, just what it's going to mean for us as a country just to see something that people are going to get together to watch a sporting event to where we're trying to beat this virus to allow us to have something different. And from our standpoint, as Cardinal fans, there are only two logical opponents for preseason games. The Cubs or the Royals. So you're either going to have the Cubs storyline or the Matheny storyline. Well, it could be anywhere, right? It could be, but logically, you you don't want to travel much. Well, it could be. Well, the schedule could be set to where you open up anywhere, right? You could. Oh be, yeah, yeah, you could do it that so way. So right? you you open up against the team that you're supposed to have quote unquote opening day with. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you could play anywhere and let's do it in Minnesota. That's I'm fine with that. Minnesota is going to be really good. Yeah. Really they good. A lot of home runs. Although they have a kidnapper or alleged. So no, yeah, alleged. Yeah, let's not draw conclusions. Did I go long again? No, I did, but we're we're talking. We're having fun. It's fun. I went too long again. No worries. I'm sorry. Dan, I know you guys want to start your weekend. No, you it's your haircut. time. Well, this this oh, is my haircut you know got you... canceled. It got canceled. Yeah. Why? Uh, because my hair cutter had something come up. They called me last night and said you don't even need a haircut. Though. I do. It's I feel grungy. Seriously? Yeah, I do. I think it looks great. Oh, thanks. Okay. That's really nice of you, well, Michelle. I'm That's not true. getting it cut today, so. All right, I've gone too long again. 
I'm we were sorry. looking forward to Jim Thomas. You are looking forward to your weekend, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, it's just kind of Groundhog Day. Uh, <laughs> I have no idea what I'm going to do. Well, well, I'm not going to do radio, though. Yeah. You know, what are you guys doing? I don't know either. Michelle? I don't know either. Weather contingent, because it might get rainy this weekend. Oh, is it supposed to rain? Yeah, I, potentially on my app it said tomorrow and Sunday okay. could potentially rain. How okay. little just quarantine? That's what we do. <laughs> Again, Groundhog Day. <laughs> All right, have a great weekend, guys. Thanks, I'm, sorry I went, uh, I'm sorry I went. I'm sorry. I was late. I'm sorry I've gone long. You're the, you don't have to apologize to us. We just love having you around. Man. Okay, thank you. That's our buddy Dan McLaughlin, Tanner Hendrickson, doing a great job as our producer engineer. Thank you, and Michelle. This is always fun. Appreciate it. Thanks, Randy. Have a great weekend. Uh, you too. And uh, for all of us, we thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show till Monday at 7 a.m. Have a great weekend, St. Louis. That was the Character and Smallman podcast on 101. ESPN.